0: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Author's Quill. I hope everyone's having a great afternoon in the United States and wherever else you are on our big, beautiful planet. I know, I know, for some people it's morning time. Some people it's way early in the wee hours. Some people it's in the you know in the evening time. So wherever you are listening, I hope you enjoy it. You know, I know for our Brits right now it's nine o'clock over there. Say so, hey, nine p.m. Oh man, y'all y'all at the pub drink. You're not even listening to us, y'all. y'all some darts, a couple of pints. No, 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 no. I know what's going on over there. But, you know, just to tell you how the real world is, a couple of times I've been in restaurants and stuff lately, and they'll have like Roku up on their screen. And when they do, I ask them if they, I can have the remote, and they say yes. I put United Public Radio up there. So, like yesterday, I, was, I ordered Brooklyn pizza on my way home. I was making everybody in Brooklyn Pizza Face watch whoever was on. I think it was uh, uh, Church of Mavis was on. So they were, they were having a good old time watching and enjoying themselves. And, I don't know what to tell y'all, people. It's one of them things. Oh no, Carrie, that one's been given away. Yes, I, I need to take it down. It's been given away. I got two others, but I don't. I don't know what I'm doing with them yet. No, uh, one of them going to go. We're going to give away amongst a group of hosts, and I think the rest of the other ones going to get given away at some some point in the future. What do you mean, give it away on Easter? No, no, no. <laughs> it's not going to happen. So don't worry about it. But it will for some reason. You know, maybe um maybe our first pay for view listener will get it as a freebie gift or something. Who knows? Well, no, I give away books all the time. I'm just out right now. Everything behind you is autographed. All this stuff around here, that's all personal autographed copies from different people of different stuff from writers of the futures. To, you know, all of, when they do the, when they all sign the autograph, and then I get I get a lot of family members to sign and a lot of friends. Well, whoever's there, like, you know, if I see somebody and I, I get them, you know, because they all got to autograph the book in the signing, you know, they get, sh- all, what is a couple of hours, and it's actually signing, signing, signing books. And then, and then, of course, all the judges sign it. Well, some of the judges are actually friends of mine now. So I, I get personal signings from them. And then I'll catch that like, at the gala event. I'll bring some books with me and I'll catch like different family members, you know. well, Yeah, because I'll walk right up to a family member, hi, you know, I interviewed your son or your daughter, blah, 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 and just ask them a few questions and get them to sign the book. Well, it's, it's just, no, it's not for anything. It's just to have it. Well, maybe one day if they if, if somebody gets famous in the book, like, you know, Zach might make two, three, $10 million or something. Then, then everybody's signature and it'll be were some, yes. Huh? So, you know, I don't know that we're going to ask that in a minute, but I know, um, I know a lot of the writers, I know a lot of the illustrators and a lot of the authors have got work since, since they have left writers of the future. I know a lot of them are working on books. A lot of them have books out. It's a lot to keep up with because so far I, from just that group alone, I have met fifty authors and fifty illustrators, and if you include the judges, that's another twenty on top of that. Mm-hmm. And that's not including the regular groups of friends I have that are authors. This, the network does a lot of authors, so from a lot of different areas, and a couple of different groups actually, um, a couple of publishing companies uh, use some of our shows to run their 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 people through. Not this one. This one's a little different. Carmen does some help on this when I do some. Jeffrey does. And anyway, it, it's wh- whoever's hosting. Uh, gets to use whatever means they want to bring guests on the show, as long as long as an author. Um, we're gonna we're gonna do illustrators too, but eventually, the illustrators will have their own show. Well, you know, it's it's when you bring on someone like Tom Woods or Echo Charny on the Author's Quilt, you know, they're gonna be looking at me like Joe. You know, you know, I, I draw, man, right? I, I don't write, <laughs> I draw, man. But anyway, so Zach, how have you been, man? I mean, how's life been treating you?
1: Uh, life's been treating me great. I think they might. Maybe you could draw with a quill. I would assume. Yeah, you could.
0: I, I mean, you would have to dip the damn thing a lot, but I'm sure you could draw with a quill. <laughs> you, and, would and, a yes, you would have to dip it a lot. Yes, yeah. you would have to dip it a lot, but and you'd have to have your little multiple colored quill things. What do you yeah. mean, Chris? Chris, you, wait, you really don't know what a quill is? <laughs> I'm not going to be mean to you. No, I mean some people might. If you're not, if you're not into writing and stuff, you you might. I mean, how old are you? Can do you mind me asking? <laughs> Two forty-five. No way, dude. You how old? <laughs> Where are you from? Like New Zealand? No, they know what a quill is down there too. Mm -hmm. Are you like from one of them tribes in South America or one of them island tribes we've never heard about? I'm just, it's a quill. (laughs) Well, you know, you know what a feather is, right? You know what a feather is? Okay. You're halfway through the quill right there. (laughs) In the old days, they actually used like a goose feather. They would hollow it out and use it to write with, with ink, but. As they got more sophisticated, they still left the feather on. They're more for show than anything else. And they had more of a metal tip, usually a rounded ball tip. Um, no, not a moving ball tip. No, it's nothing like that. You stuck it in a little inkwell, and then you... And then you stuck it in a little inkwell. And, and I guess eventually you know how far you could write with each dip. Yeah, because I'd be trying to stretch it out, so you'd kind of be fading as it went along. <laughs> It's 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 no, I like the title. It's a good title for this this particular show, and because we we only do authors on here for the most part, and mm-hmm. uh, and we have some really good we have some really good authors that have been on some famous. Authors. What 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 book were you in again? I was in. Uh, oh, I think I got a copy right here. That would be smart. put that biatch up there. Yeah, that's right. Throw anything thing up there where I can see it. I was in. Thirty six is that thirty six? Yeah, I was in thirty yeah, six. Okay. I mean, well, I've been it, in a lot of other stuff, which I'm happy. Well, to talk yeah. About, but, but oh, yeah. yeah, we want you. We want you to tell them everywhere you've been, what you've been up to. Yeah, it's um, uh, well, no, that's that's where I actually met Zach. he was he was, he was over. He's one of the winners, and uh well, yeah, they give him money and they feed him. But No, they make him work. I, I, so they won't let me do like a video of the whole thing. They just won't hmm. let me, but uh because you know, I, I understand why. <laughs>
1: I'm happy to talk about it. I can give you yeah. some details.
0: So so, 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 so first off, mm-hmm. y- y'all get there. I mean, what are you, What the hell was – I don't want to spend too much time on this because I want to get into some of your newer stuff. But still, um, what, what was it when you, Ro- when, you, when, you, when you were at the Roosevelt, right? Yeah, you was at the Roosevelt. Yeah, Roosevelt, so, yeah. so you didn't have to go to Crappy Lowe's Hotel. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> did I say that out loud? Shit, I didn't mean to say that out loud. Damn. <laughs> I apologize, to people. I, I really didn't mean to say that out loud. So anyway – The the Roosevelt, so you arrive there, you're thinking, okay, I'm in Hollywood. I'm on Hollywood Boulevard. I'm hanging Mm -hmm. out. I mean, if you're local, it's different. But, uh, you know, if you're from somewhere else and now you're in Hollywood, you're the Roosevelt, you walk in, you get to meet Joni. And, you know, Joni's like the whirlwind from hell. Uh, No, people, I meant that in a good way. Joni is – I have no idea how Joni does her job. Pretty amazing. Yeah, I I have no idea. And, you know, and that's the woman who's going to call you and say, guess what? (laughs) You won. (laughs) (laughs) No, she also –
1: Good. She called me and told me like right before I was going to go. In. When I won, I was in a, a master's program for uh, becoming a therapist and I was uh, about to walk in to see a client and I decided to answer the phone and she gives me this news that then I'm like, you know, buzzing like, oh my God, I won this big thing. Now I got to go listen to somebody t- tell me about how they uh, <laughs> yeah." <suicide or> <laughs> I deal with
0: that. Hey, well, at least, you, at least you had it in the back of your head. There was some bright yeah. light back there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I got a few friends that are therapists. I have no idea how they do it. I, I, you know, I, I have to deal with enough crazies as it is. And, and, uh, and, and now, I mean, I guess I'm dead. And they make good money doing it, but somehow, well, I'll tell you this I get a, do get a lot of phone calls. Hey, Joe, you want to go out drinking tonight? no, man, you know, I don't drink. Come on, Joe, let's go out drinking. i mean, what do you mean? So, said, man, it's been a rough day. I just need to talk. (laughs) And and, and that's a nice thing because they can talk to me and they know I'm not going to say anything about what they said. I'm just going to be like, really? Oh my God. I'm glad I don't do that for a living. (laughs) That's all you get out of me. Um, (laughs) Wait, so. I I mean,
1: I'll just say in terms of doing therapy for a living, like People always ask me, why would I want to do that? For exactly the reason you <laughs> you just said, why would you want your job to be listening to people, you know, basically bitch about stuff and in their life. And the reality is, so I have, I have undergraduates and I have master students that I teach and I'm always asking them, why do you want to be a therapist if they're trying to go to school to, to do that? Right. Mm-hmm. And they always say, I want to help people. And I say, every job is helping people mm-hmm. hypothetically flipping burgers, people eat burgers, Even a politician, hypothetically, is helping
0: people. Well, at least in his case, (laughs) helping himself. But anyway.
1: That's right. And so it's got to be more than that. And my answer to that question for myself personally is it's a challenge.
0: All right. What did I just click? Sometimes people
1: are, uh, you went to audio only. Um, Sometimes people are surprised to hear that, but it's like therapy can't all just be about me being uh, really empathic or really wanting to help people. It's also got to do something for me. And what it does for me is it's a challenge, right? Like my parents are lawyers, they definitely get off on looking through documents and trying to, you know, figure out the puzzle that is uh, whatever legal thing they're working on. And for me, having somebody come into my office and say something like, I'm sad. Can you help me? <laughs> That's such a big abstract uh, issue to try to tackle. It's it's really engaging. It's kind of chaotic. No, I know. I can I I see that. That's fun
0: unfortunately exactly. i've been cursed on my whole life didn't matter what i did for a living people mm. just tell me everything about themselves uh, i'm not kidding you man i, I remember I, I get out to navy I'm, I'm going to school you know i want to go get my bachelor's in science and i'm, and I'm messing around and i'm just, and people just come in and they, they don't know me for me but that's what it is they don't know me for me just tell me their whole life how their wife's cheating on what their kids are doing i'm like really and if they're regulars man i could tell you their whole life start to finish it was it got a little it got a little weird it's still even today i i'm just the other day, I stand, and my son's laughing his ass off. I'm standing in line. And I, look, I said, hi to this lady. She tells me, like, the last five years of her life. Mm-hmm. I'm like, it's, it's, it's some kind of weird curse. But uh, I know, too, a lot of my regular guests who, who talk to me on the phone a lot, are like, you're dangerous, Joe, because sometimes I'll be talking to you, and I'll forget mm-hmm. uh, that we're live. He said, it's, it's, it's just a bad thing. He's by the way, he's a therapist. He's like, he says, it's a bad thing. He said, now we got video. It's a little easier to remember. We're alive. Right. <laughs> he, said, he said, man, cause he would every now and then he'd slip up and say something he wasn't supposed to. And we have other guests that have done that over the years, but mm-hmm. it's a, but you know what? I refer y'all guys, a lot of business as doing abduction research. Um, well, let me just say, I refer y'all a lot of business and uh, cause a lot of people come to me and say, this has happened to him. That happened to him. Well, I'm not a therapist. Uh, I mean, I've got some basic crap I learned in the Navy, but I'm not nowhere near a therapist. So right. I always tell them the same thing. seek some, And there's a few people that, that we've learned over the years that were good to deal with these kind of people. But um, I always tell them the same thing. it's nothing I can do for you. There's nothing the organization can do for you. You have to seek a professional. And I always tell people the same thing. Look, when you come looking for someone like me, beware, because once the truth is out, it's out. There's no putting a, no putting a genie back in a bottle. The genie's out, whatever it may be. Whether it's aliens, God, your husband, your daddy, whoever it is, it's out. It's it's, it's Mm -hmm. not going back and you're going to have to deal with it. So I I warn people all the time, think about that hard before you come to see one of us or you go into hypnosis. I said, um, you know, what do you mean hypnosis? Don't Okay, John, I'm going to tell you a little secret about hypnosis. The smarter you are, the easier it is to put you under. Oh, yes, that's a fact. The smarter a person is. So if you're really hard to put on it, that means your IQ is probably sitting around 75 somewhere. Yeah, I, I used to teach this. Actually, my wife still teaches it. It's um, it's one of those things. Smart people, out, because <laughs> what happens is really smart people, especially people with really high IQs, especially people who are very detailed, um, they, they've tricked their own selves into being hypnotized. So they're trying to fight it or they think they're trying to fight it and they're talking, talking, talking before they realize it, they're already down on level four, or level five. And they're like, and then when I get up later, they're like, how the hell did you do that? I said, I didn't do that. You did that actually. <laughs> I was just gotten you along the way. No, yeah, hypnosis is a, I, I, we'll get back to this in another show, but hypnosis to me is a, is a tool that should be used sparingly. Uh, only when really needed. I, I, and I'm so strict about it. I, I won't even do a hypnosis. I have to because, you, you know, I do voice stress analysis, body language and facial recognition. So, I won't even do hypnosis if the if the voice stress meter's not running next to it. I don't even want to do it. But it's um, well, you, you see things. That's all I can tell you. you find out stuff about people you never wanted to know about in the first place. Uh, mm-hmm. But but still, it's good for you guys. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's good. <laughs> we probably send y'all a like hundred or two hundred a year, man. Well, here, well, uh, you want want
1: some interesting history? Good. I think you'll get a kick out of it. Your audience will get a kick out of it. So there's. There's five different licenses nationally in terms of being a therapist, right? You've got, uh, you can become a psychologist with a PhD or what's called a PsyD. You can become a psychiatric nurse. And then there's the three master's level uh, therapy licenses, which is a social worker, professional counselor, and couple and family therapist. I'm a couple and family therapist. And what a lot of people don't understand is that the discipline is actually a different training uh, than like going through to become a psychologist and the discipline finds its roots bizarrely in a group of psychologists who are looking at the types of clients they were working with at the time and saying something's not right uh, about the way that we're handling issues uh clinically speaking maybe there's a better way the thought process being or the thought process coming from um they would work with a a person you know because psychology at the time was a lot about the individual sanctuary space I go in just for me, it, I, uh, it's, just, it's just my space to explore myself and there's a therapist to help me do that. But what they kept finding was they would help somebody and some of their symptoms would abate, but then the symptom would show up in someone else in the family or they would just send them back to the family and the symptoms would come back. And it's got to be a better way to, to deal with this. So they started trying to think systemically. And what those therapists did, their psychologists, they went to the cybernetics conventions in the 40s Cybernetics, a lot of people hear that word and they think robots and it could be robots, but really cybernetics really means uh, systems with feedback loops, right? So any anything you can describe as a system with a homeostasis, meaning like a resting state that has feedback loops in and out. And these conventions had uh, like early robotics, early computers, uh, other kinds of mechanical systems, Biological systems that would have feedback loops, and then social systems that would have feedback loops, and these. So these psychologists went there, and one of the people that they were most excited to talk to was uh, that hypnotist. What's his name? Erickson, the original.
0: Yeah. I, um, uh, what is it? it? Uh, what is it? Eric? Um, God, you said it and went right out of my head, man. Yeah, Milton,
1: Milton Erickson.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry, because I, I, I actually, for some reason, I'm familiar with him. And I, uh, why don't you? Well, he's a he's a very famous um, hypnotist, and uh, at the time.
1: Uh, he he was considered a like a radical, not just because of the hypnotism stuff, but because he would do things like if you went in there and said, "Hey, I'm having trouble with my mom," he would say, "Well, bring her in," <laughs> which was which totally went against the sort of psychological thing at the time, uh, mm. the standard. And so, from those cybernetics conventions, plus with the stuff that this hypnotist had been doing, couple and family therapy developed as a discipline out of that. There's more to the story, but oh, it's yeah. interesting to think that it was cybernetics conventions, hypnotism, uh, also schizophrenia research because there there was a period in time, especially back then in the 40s and 50s, where one of the leading uh theories as to where schizophrenia comes from was from uh, problematic family dynamics. Uh mainly something called a double bind. You ever heard of a double bind before?
0: Double, wait Wait, are you saying say say the word again because I'm getting yeah, a I'm, double bind. Okay, now I think I thought you said double blind at first. No, thinking. yeah. D-
1: so double blind would be like in a in a research study. Yeah, have, in a
0: research study. Yeah, so, okay, right. anyway, go ahead.
1: Yeah, so but a double bind would be something like you go up to your mom and your mom says to you, "You never bring me flowers when you come over." And then the next time you come over you bring her flowers and she says, "Well, it doesn't count because I had to ask you." Mm-hmm. And there was a theory for a while that that kind of vice that you get, because you can't win, right? There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. Exactly. And there was a theory for a while that maybe that type of interaction played into what causes schizophrenia, which seems like a wild thing to say now, but (laughs) that was what they believed. And so it was the intersection of all these things, cybernetic conventions, some of the um, developments coming out of hypnotism, uh, schizophrenia research, all that came together to make family therapy and actually, concurrently on a totally different track their couples counseling was already happening and generally speaking it would be somebody in your local community who was kind of respected like a judge or a, a doctor or something like that who would take on as a second vocation talking to couples about their marriages to try to help them and in 1942 I think this woman named Emily Mudd was like wait these places have popped up all around the country all these people do in the secondary vocation of couples counseling we should probably come together as a as an association yeah. to be able to talk about it so she did that and then in 1973 that family therapy line coming out of cybernetics and then the couples counseling line just sort of naturally developed that emily mudd put together they uh came together as couple and family therapy and we share a lot with psychology but it's actually kind of its own separate discipline, and a no, lot I mean, of it
0: kind of has to, to be. I mean, psychology is too. Um, I hate to say it this way, but it's too rigid in, in the individual. I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. it, it it just you know I know enough people have been in it that it it just well it is it's just focused on the individual really. We
1: have a a concept called uh, uh, linear causality versus circular causality. And the idea here would be linear, linear causality is more common in psychology where someone might say, okay, linear A to B, right. right. Uh, You know, your, your wife is uh, berating you all the time and that's why you're depressed. Straight line. (laughs) It's pretty simple, but circular causality. And you can see where this is going already. Circular causality would be like, well, hold on. Your wife is berating you about not spending enough time together because she feels like you're, like too distant. Right. She needs more from you. Right. But then her berating and saying, Hey, spend more time with me makes like triggers your feeling of inadequacy. Maybe like, Oh, I'm never going to be good enough for her. So you want to pull away. And what happens when you pull away and you, and you ignore her, she just gets even more lonely. <laughs> <There she laughs> does. Comes after you more. And it's this, it's right? this idea of this, this infinite loop that goes around and around. And that, that as an idea is not particularly revolutionary, but, but it was at the time to think of helping people by trying to break those negative circular dynamics rather than just taking one person by themselves and saying, So why are you upset? Oh, because my wife's always yelling at me. Right. Because then you can help that guy to deal with it. But when he goes back to his
0: You know wife, what's what's sad for you guys is is when I do studies and polls, they do still consider any psychology a pseudoscience. And, well and in all these years, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute. I'm not going to understand part, really. I can, in some areas, I can understand it because it gets a little hairy, scary in some places. But in general, knowing as many people I know who do this for a living, I'm thinking why, first off, you can tell the individuals are educated. Anybody who's talking about this generally has a really good education behind them. Not not just in what we're talking about, but in a generally good education. And all of them, I, I've got at least two or three letters behind their names, no matter what. So, but for, I think that intimidates some people. So what they do is they just flip it and say, okay, well, we're just going to treat it like it's a pseudoscience. Mm. And I'm like, well, maybe 80 years ago, you know, maybe when Freud was alive, we can't mm. call it a pseudoscience. Uh, but uh, today I feel like it's it's more in the real primary sciences like everything else is. I mean, there's just too much base now. And like you're talking about with them being broke up like that. And, and when you're talking about families and anything to do with kids, mm. uh, it should always be treated differently. I mean, mm. Jesus, the kids alone are enough factor. What do you mean, Jack? I got lots of kids and grandkids, and I got great grandkids, man. Trust me, great grandkids. <laughs> wow, yeah, did. she wouldn't know about kids. I'll teach y'all about <laughs> them, man. Jesus, man. Um, well, no, because my wife is older than me, goofball. Yes, that's why. I'm... Anyway, we'll get into that on another show. <laughs> it's uh, that's too much to even talk about on this one show. It's it's so. But you know, for you, so you're dealing with with you know with mom and dad or husband and wife. So do you do just husband and wife, or do you do, do husband, wife, mom and dad or either uh, one? Yeah. So I I work with um I work
1: with individuals, couples, and families. And maybe okay. I should just yeah. say credential-wise, since you were just mentioning it. So I have a master's in couple and family therapy, and the letters after my name, some of them are licensed clinical marriage and family therapist. Okay, Uh, I work with individuals, couples and families, but I'm always coming from that systemic perspective. And even if I'm working with an individual, I might be like, you know, it'd be helpful for you to bring your dad in or whatever it is (laughs) and have them come in. I would say I probably specialize in couples. I do a lot of couples therapy and I'm also just wrapping up my certification as a sex therapist. So I do a lot of sex therapy work too. a lot of uh, like desire discrepancy between two members in a relationship. I do a lot of uh, like erectile dysfunction, vaginismus, which is um, vaginal pain during sex. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, but I, uh, the thing is, I'm a guy, and so I do get a lot of men. <laughs> so I get, I get a lot of penis disorders, as one would expect. <laughs> well, Just- I, can,
0: I, can, I can understand it. Yeah. What Well you mean? So, you know, it's funny. My primary doctor is a female. Mm-hmm. And, and she always asks me, because I'm getting old now. She goes, do you need something like fiber? She's, I know your heart's going to look up. I said, doc, when I need it, trust me, I will ask you. <laughs>
1: Don't worry, she's
0: enough. like, she's she, she, I'll, I'll be 60 soon. She's like, she's like she said Well, you i said yeah well i said what well, you think i want to quit having sex and said no doc i'm not that kind of guy i said trust me because you know they always worry because i'm on uh i forgot uh one of the blood pressure medicines i'm on uh, right yeah she's do. like she's like she's like you know and they're taking me off a lot of them she's like uh mm-hmm. every time i lose weight they take me off something but she's mm-hmm. like um she's like you know that costs it when it costs a doc i'll tell you when it costs i said i have no problem i said if you just want to write a script go ahead i said but i'm fine right now and she's are you sure? <laughs> I said I think I'm oh, sure, Doc. Well, you know, it, it,
1: it's good she asks because I mean, with she, men, she's a real good doctor. With men in particular, there's a lot of reticence to to discuss what's going on. And I'll tell you this because the, they
0: think it makes them less a man. That's why. yeah.
1: And so here's here's a really interesting thing that I've kind of noticed in my work is that there's three main, uh, penile dysfunction issues, right? The, f- the first one, and the most common one, is erectile dysfunction, which is not able to get or maintain an erection. The second one is premature ejaculation, which probably everybody knows what that is, but it's when you ejaculate too soon during sex. And those ones, at least according to the research, are the most common type of uh, mm.
0: disorder. Yeah, it sounds like they would be.
1: Right. Now, the third one, though, is uh, delayed ejaculation, right? So not being able to achieve orgasm during sex. And what's interesting is, I feel like I get a ton of guys asking about that. And I think what it is, is that at least in terms of research, I think men are more likely to go running immediately <laughs> to a doctor if it's a, a erectile dysfunction or, or premature ejaculation because it's preventing them from having sex. Yeah. But delayed ejaculation, you can get hard and you can have oh, sex. Sure. It's just there's some kind of anxiety stopping you from achieving orgasm, Right. And I feel like men are much less likely to report that as
0: a problem. Actually, I, I I think you're right. Well, in some cases, some guys might actually think that's a good thing. So it's, right. uh, oh, they man, start to you know, not- Well, you hear those rumors 15 minutes. So they're like they're probably like, well, man, look, I'm going wrong in 15 minutes. <laughs> I think and,
1: and, you know, usually people come in and then they start to ex- express that it's, uh, that it is a, a real problem because maybe their, uh, wife or whatever starts thinking like, do you, are you not attracted to me? Is that why you're not having an orgasm when we're having sex or, uh, you know, he's, that's true too. He's trying to go for a really long time to really achieve that orgasm and it's not happening. And now his wife's like, I'm too, like I'm raw. Like I'm worn
0: out. Yeah. (laughs) That's enough, enough, buddy. (laughs) That's
1: enough. And so eventually people come with, with that issue. Well, I, I can give you an interesting example. Um, so usually this is an anxiety thing, right? That that causes somebody to have this issue. Usually it's anxiety and it can be a lot of different types of anxiety. The most interesting case that I've had lately was the the issue was delayed ejaculation and there were some body image issues and things like that where he yeah, wasn't, wasn't necessarily feeling that like, he wasn't feeling sexy, if that's yeah. a better word, right? He told me that he didn't even – I said, how do you perceive yourself? Like when you sort of fantasize about having sex, what role are you playing? And he was like, I don't even think of myself when I'm having sex. I just think of the woman. And I was like, okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. So he worked on that. But the main thing was he started to say he was nervous about becoming a father. Think about mm-hmm. that psychologically. Yeah, that's, that, that, that can wear on you there. He was nervous about becoming a father. And lo and behold, his ability to ejaculate had slowly kind of dipped off. The closer, the the more serious... Yeah,
0: he was protecting himself.
1: Exactly. The The more serious the conversation with his wife became about having kids. So we worked through his um, sort of sense of confidence of becoming a father. And his confidence sexually started to come back. And then the thing that made the biggest difference, and this was very funny to me, the thing that made the biggest difference... And you have this experience as a therapist all the time where you're not really sure what, what will help. And then suddenly something does. And you're like, Oh, okay. That, yeah, was, that right. was the key. The key with this guy was we're talking about how he had sex with his wife the previous week. And he says, he says, yeah, but then I had some trouble ejaculating because, you know, there weren't any, any tissues around. And I was like, you, do you ejaculate into tissues while you're having sex? And he's like, yeah, well my wife's very persnickety about anything getting on the duvet cover and i was like i was like okay <laughs> i said hold on i, I, was, I said have you, have you considered
2: have you considered
1: removing the cover from the bed and he was like that's oh, yeah. like, a good idea <laughs> he, was like, he was like he was like uh i don't know uh, maybe we should try it. and then i said do you have like like a sex towel like something you can uh, put down you when you're can having go sex. buy
0: a 50 dollar quilt and throw it on it yeah, and he was
1: like he was like no he, he was like i literally the thought had never crossed his mind or his wife's mind comes back the next week for his session guess what he says oh good i'm sorry So the phone ring where you said like, i said like, he came back to the next week and and what do you think he told me
0: Uh, He took the cover off the bed. (laughs) He took the cover off the bed. He put down (laughs) a towel and he was just spraying everywhere. (laughs) I I said, okay, that's the,
1: that's the solution that we were looking for. I guess it's a,
0: it's a, what was that Christopher? No, it's, it's no, we're just, what the hell are you talking about? All right. What do you mean? You, you you live in a whole different country. You can't be booking, Zach. You're on the other side of the planet, man. Besides, you Europeans have weirder problems than Americans, so I'm just telling y'all outright. right? I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. Americans are messed up, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Americans are messed up, but y'all got 2,000 years more messed up than we are, so I'm just, I'm just helping y'all out, that's all. Uh, actually, I find most of my friends in Europe to be way less uptight than most of my American friends, mm. but... Because if, for Europeans they look at sex differently than we do. Well, it's like you, you knew that when Hillary—I mean, when Bill was messing around with Monica, and you know, all of Europe is going, and yeah, "What's the problem with this?" <laughs> you know, because the French president at the time had a had a, a one on the side, so did the Italian right. president. So, Europe's looking at us like, "What is what is wrong with these Americans? What the hell's the problem over there?" So it was, They're and going. I'm thinking, you know, it, I'm thinking, well, you yeah, know, it's it's one of the problems. Uh, Bruce says. Uh, uh, Oh, Bruce wants to know what you got out on the market book-wise. Wait, Bruce did that what? was John that called me? Hold on. I think that was John that called me. Go ahead, oh, go ahead and answer that. I'm going to see what, what I have out you. on
1: the market. Well, all right. So I got a couple things. I mean, first of all, this is actually not the first place I was published, but I, I do have Writers of the Future yes. out, volume 36. Um, but also, I've been I've been published in Asimov Science Fiction five or six times now. I just forget because I just sold another one to them. But so Asimov's, I've been in Asimov's a number of times. Uh, Right now, like literally right now on the market, is uh, this issue of Asimov's, the the January, February 2024 issue. I've got a short story in there. And last year, uh, last year I was in Asimov's, actually, funnily enough, I was in Asimov's uh, in the May, June issue, I think, with a story called The. the visions are free after exit 73 and that story speaking to writers of the future was actually the story i had written during writers of the future um because uh, joe sort of alluded to this and you, you may know about this if, if you're familiar with the contest at all but when you go there for a week you have this week-long workshop and during the workshop you have a hell uh, week man yeah, yeah there's a lot <laughs> going on but the <laughs> most, hell most hellish part was um mm. You do a 24-hour story. They basically, 2 p.m. on Tuesday, they say, okay, go write a story. It's due tomorrow at 2 p.m. on Wednesday. And you're just kind of given the day to go and do that. Now, I'm an idiot. And I thought, wow, this is my only free time this whole week because there's so much stuff going on. So I went and got on the L.A. Metro, which I didn't even know existed. But I got on the (laughs) L.A. Metro, (laughs) which was quite a ride. And I went out to the beach to see the ocean. And I kind of was like, it was this whole thing. It took me like nine hours to get out and back. And finally, I got back at like 11 p.m., 1130, and the hotel was full of movie stars because there was a red carpet premiere of some Marvel movie across the street at, at the Man's Chinese Theater, or whatever it's called. Nice. And so like Taika Waititi was like in the bar and I was like, whoa, there's like famous people here. And I was further distracted. And at some point I started working <laughs> on the story and I ended up staying up most of the night, writing it, getting it done by 2 p.m., getting it get turned in. And uh, then it actually, I mean, I was very proud of it. And then it actually got bought by Asimovs. So that's pretty cool. So that story is now, it, it was in Asimovs last year, uh, which was quite cool. They, um... uh, I've also been, last year I was also published in uh, in Analog, which was very cool. So I've been in Asimovs like five times, but I was published in Analog last year uh, with a story that actually had earlier that year got, it was a finalist for the Jim Bain Memorial Science Fiction Award, which is pretty cool. Something else I didn't know about until I was at Writers of the Future. Learn all this
0: shit though, man. Yeah,
1: all this stuff. Um, and then the last thing I think is important to mention. So there's all those Asimov's um, books that I've been in. Like I said, there's five or six of them. Those are the, all the most recent ones. Um, but also this past year I edited, I'm also in the book for reasons I'll explain in a moment, but I edited this book uh Called Inner Workings. Um, so basically, this is a this is an anthology of sixteen science fiction and some fantasy short stories. And then each story has a craft writing essay attached to it on the on the back end by the author, uh, where the author takes one kind of element of writing craft that was uh, important to the story and just kind of talks about it and talks about how they wrote the story and why the story is any good, generally speaking. Um, and we have some some interesting guest authors we have carrie english who's sort of the head slusher at writers of the future um wolf moon is in here some of you may know Uh, martin shoemaker who i believe was on your show joe at some point not too long ago and eric james stone as well and there's a bonus essay by kevin james and uh, kevin j anderson uh who was of course a, a judge at writers of the future and um did some workshop stuff with us while we were there but uh, this is a good book to pick up if you're interested in writers of the future, because everyone in here is a writers of the future alumni, um, which is super cool. And it's half book, half story, and half craft writing. And we had a blast making this, so definitely encourage people to check that yeah,
0: out. Go check it out, guys. Yeah, it was a kick,
1: it was a Kickstarter, and then we also uh, we're going to do another Kickstarter soon for another anthology that's going to be all um, stories. It's called going to be called Intergalactic Rejects. And it's God, be, going to be all. It's gonna be. It's, it's gonna be an open call. There's we have some really amazing guest authors uh, lined up who I can't necessarily announce yet, but they're all top level, uh, top brass, Fine, <laughs> fun, fun, fun <laughs> big, people, big names, um, very um, big names that you will have heard okay, of. And
0: Jerry, then Jerry. the other
1: the other half of those stories will be uh, open call, and the the sort of hook for that one um, is stories that are that the authors think is really good that's Ooh. been rejected several times <laughs> because rejection uh, is a big part of
0: writing so well, i imagine it is uh carrie now if you don't know what kickstarter is does, we've talked about it many 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 times on many many shows of course this sexy thing at the bottom of the screen here is john good he just joined us um hey zach he, hey joe he Hi, works john. for some he works for some company somewhere what, what's the name of this company <laughs> S- something mars what the hell's the name of this? spaceships or us or some shit <laughs> it's, <a spaceship. laughs> it's galaxy <laughs> so, wait I can't even speak now I'm, I'm lost my mind galaxy quest uh, I was I had the galaxy app <laughs> um, <laughs> well because it's writers at future.com and GalaxyQuest.com. it's um right just just go and check them out check out both sites and Hang out and see what you find. You missed really good. Uh, Zach and I was embarrassing half the audience for about 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I wish I could see like the faces of the people who were listening. Uh, I wish it would have been great. Um, Jimmy, what do you want? Uh, what do you, what? Just, I don't know. S- send it to here. Uh, send it to us so we can see it. Yeah. Pop over to, it's too long to read. Send the, uh go to one of our Facebook pages and drop it in that way. Or one of the YouTube pages and I'll drop it over to us. Dude, it's like a book. Come on. You might as well enter it into Writers of the Future, the damn thing, so long. I mean, really, I'm still scrolling. There's no end to this. What the <laughs> hell? He's commenting on what you and I were talking about. He's just like going He's – he's got this big, long list. It starts where we started the show, and he's – he's a, anyway. <laughs> if you want us to talk about it, you need to post it where we can all see it because it's too much to read. John, what are you up to, man?
2: D- well, d- I'm, uh, I heard that Zach was here, and I said, I got to get on this one here, so mm. – uh I barged in on this on this interview here, so I could say well, hello. You to know, you're
0: always welcome. So it's um, let me get that off that. You got a dot on your head? It's driving me crazy. Um, What's so on really, my head? Uh, no, on my screen there was a dot like right smack in the middle of your head. You look like an Indian or something. I was it was making me nuts, oh, really? man. I had to get it off of there. Um, no, we were just talking about some of Zach. You know what he does for a living and, and stuff like that. It's always really good when you are speaking to an author who you know has a a, a primary job. It's always good to hear what they do for a living. It's um, like my like my good friend who's an author and he's a bigfoot hunter and that's what he does for a living. And I'm like, dude, how much can you possibly make as a bigfoot hunter, right? Last year, three hundred thirty-three thousand dollars. I was like, that's it for doing what? Well, I take people out and show them where that damn bigfoot is, Joe. I'm like. Dude, really? No, I'm, I'm telling you, I'll put him in a boat. He puts him in the fan boat and takes him out. And I'm saying, Dude, I am said, do they see Bigfoot? He said, sometimes they see Bigfoot. I'm like, do what the hell ever, man. He's <laughs> <laughs> been doing this for like 10 years. I'm like, I'm like, oh, man. I said, I'm in the wrong line of work. I said, I'm becoming Bigfoot hunter too, man. Jesus. I, mean, I, I don't know. That shit is just too funny to me. He's got a beautiful fan boat, by the way, though. Runs right over the top to the gators. He don't. He don't even care. There's a gator out there. He just rolls right over the top of it. <laughs> if the gator don't move, so be it. Oh man. So Zach, what well, I mean, what you got planned now? I mean, you, you kind of. I know. I, I hear your career is going pretty good. You, you sound like you're really comfortable, which is nice. Uh, so, you should, did you? Do you have any uh, free enough time to write? It, well, two. This is a two part question. First off, because I know what you do for a living. Um, do you have enough free time to write? And have you considered writing about your profession?
1: Yeah. Yeah, this is a good question. I definitely have enough free time to write. You know, I've totally left out the fact that I'm a musician
0: also. Oh, shit. She's like, (laughs) you just got too many things going on, I'm just
1: just adding that in here to say that um, a lot of people will say to me, how do you have time to have a career and the writing and the music? Before before I came on today, I was was in the studio doing some demo stuff for an upcoming album. That one of my bands, my band Pretty Bitter, is working on award-winning band, Pretty Bitter. You can look us up on any streaming service if you feel so inclined to hear some rock music. Um, yeah. but people always ask me, like, how do you have time to do all this stuff? And I say, my version of relaxing is creating, right? Like when I sit in front of the TV, totally makes sense. Yeah. When I sit in front of the TV and just like you know, just watch something and my brain's using out of my ears. I get bored of that pretty quickly. Oh, yeah, maybe I that's ADHD it. or something, mm-hmm. but, but slowly, but sh- very, very quickly I get tired of that and I need to go on and be doing something. And so, yeah, uh, yeah, there's plenty of time. In fact, I'm working on, working on a submission for that, that Bane contest. I want to get in the top three this year. So we'll see what happens. Um, but uh yeah i i didn't mention earlier i'm in a phd program right now i'm in the dissertation phase of the phd mm. which means the book i'm supposed to be writing is the dissertation that <laughs> i'm supposed to be doing <laughs> uh, supposed to be being the operative phrase uh and so i would say i'm not going to be able to write like a novel length thing before i'm done with the dissertation but i still have plenty of time to write short stories and i will say Another thing about the um, the workshop, Writers of the Future workshop, probably the biggest takeaway I had from that experience, I had mentioned the um, the 24-hour story uh, a little bit ago. And when I was writing the story, and I, as I told you, I didn't really start till 1130 at night, but after I got back from the beach, but when I started writing the story, by the next day, I was very surprised to find that, you know, many of the you know those stinger endings at the end of a section or a chapter right or those really great lines or those interesting ideas that i thought took me two or three weeks to kind of percolate on and come up with when i was put under the pressure of needing to do it within uh 24 hours and really within like 15 hours when i when i was put under that pressure to do that uh it just came out and you know it, it comes to this thing of there's this joke that we were talking about while we were there about you know an, an mfa so a master of fine arts uh, their approach to writing might be um like you're sculpting the david so all of your energy is going into just perfectly crafting every sentence and every angle of the story and you're spending weeks and weeks on one product whereas the the more the pulp mindset which is more of where elron's coming from and uh you know the, all the other sort of pulp out that Heinlein and all those guys from back in the day is just write a lot. And as you keep writing and moving on to the next story, moving on to the next story, you're sharpening the blade, which is yourself mm-hmm. you as the tool is getting sharper. And I feel like once I took that on as an idea, after having learned that at the, um, the workshop, I've been just, just sort of pump out stories all the time. And not everyone is the most amazing story ever, but I'm selling a lot of them. And I'm selling more than I was before, and I think it's because I'm getting better at writing because I'm writing more, rather than the stories are getting better because I'm. You're probably not second guessing
0: yourself so much either. Not
1: yeah, exactly. Not mm-hmm. second guessing myself. Another big thing that I learned, uh, not from the conference, uh, the um the workshop, but from actually getting published at Asimov's, is like. If the editor gives you a note, just roll with it. <laughs> right? like, I, I got a note from uh, from Sheila Williams, who's the editor of Asimov's. I think the first story I wrote for them, she came back to me and she was like, I really like three quarters of this, but I hate the ending. Can you change it? <laughs> and so I went back to my story and I went about three quarters in where I'm pretty sure she meant three quarters because there was a break there and I just deleted everything <laughs> after it. And I started writing again as kind of a brand new ending. And then she bought it. Right. So it's that it's kind of going off what you said, Joe, it's that kind of fearlessness and just do like moving, ne- never stopping, moving forward, not second guessing, writing as I mean, much as you can.
0: It, and, you know, it's, it's funny because, you know, you talk about writers, illustrators, even hosts, actors. It's the same thing. You either you're either going to step up or you're going to get stepped on when it's what it comes down to. Right. Uh, and it's not like the old days when there's only a handful of everybody around doing anything. Now there's you know, eight billion of us on the planet competing for a lot of the same space. So, you know, I tell people I get I get a host. I had a matter of fact, I met a lady three days ago. I was um fixing her roof is what my company was doing. And the woman can out talk me. And I was like, Jesus I mean she's got a PhD, she's intelligent. We've we've in lately we've added three, four PhDs to the network and a couple more bachelors. And um and she's, she's into a lot of different stuff. And it's like, well, you'd make a great host. So I invited her on Friday before last. She couldn't figure out how to get on. I said, that's what the problem is with brilliant people. She's like, what? I said, y'all are dumbasses. She's like, what do you mean? I said, some of the most brilliant people I know couldn't even damn air their tire up. She's like, you're kidding. I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> I, said, I said, I don't know what it is. It's it's like, it's like a trade-off. Your, your brain is so focused on, God, I got a master's and PhDs out the yin-yang. But I, I can't pump my own gas. I mean, it's just one of those things, man. I don't I don't know. I don't pretend to even understand that I'm not a psychologist. So it's just, you know, like my stepfather, his IQ was about 184. And I mean, he was brilliant. And and he just, he's one of the guys falls asleep with face down in his eggs. I'm like, come on. I'm like, come on. I said, where's the rest of your IQ? Is it? You know, it's just like what happens is, and I hate to say it this way, what happens is it just seems like a lot of them, don't quite understand common sense. I think the brain is working too fast to slow down the, to the regular, normal people and say, "Hey, what are y'all doing?" No, 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 we're moving on. Um, <laughs> it's 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 because I was talking to Michio Keiko about the same subject, and he said he was laughing. He said, "You know, I get told by that by some of my close friends sometimes that you know I'm a dumbass." <laughs> he said, "I can't be a dumbass. I got like five PhDs." <laughs> he said, <he's laughs> I said, like, "I understand what you're saying, dude." I said, "Really smart people sometimes." Have an issue? I said I was really lucky. I got a real high IQ, but the way I was raised, I was I was raised in the middle of shit, and uh, so I didn't have any choice but to learn how to to do so. It also kind of takes away from you though, because I noticed when I was um when I was learning the Navy, when I was getting my advanced degrees in the Navy, I noticed that if if I messed with my friends too so much, I lost too much of the focus. It slowed me down on how fast I wanted to get through my courses. Basically, that's what it was. And in the Navy, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, you have to ace every test. There is no missing one question. You miss one question, you failed. Mm-hmm. You fail three times, they kick you out. So <laughs> just mm-hmm. telling. they don't play around. Uh, if you, if you, they want to make sure, well, I can understand it. They're putting you out on a, uh, in my case, I was going down on a hundred billion dollar aircraft carrier. You know, I, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure they wanted to know what I was doing. It's uh, but I, you know, I had fun when I got it. I got my bachelor's, which was fun. <clears throat> and I thought about going further, but when I read the courses for me, I just wasn't going to learn anything new. I was going to learn how to do things differently, but I wasn't going to really learn any new science. And I was yeah. kind of like, "Well, no, that's 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 just not going to. I'll get bored. That's what'll happen. I can't. John knows how I am. I can't sit still for five minutes. Uh, John, John's got to bribe me with food to get me to sit down. Joe, let's go have breakfast. <laughs> he knows I'll sit down and eat. That's why <laughs> he, he knows how it works. Oh, what is it, that, you know That's John Goodwin. He's no, he's the president of Galaxy Quest. Yes, he's the big boss. I know. I Always pick on him about his wife Emily, but he's the boss. Yes. No, Emily's, Emily's, she's a boss too, but he's the boss, boss. Yes. Uh, and you've heard me. Yeah. And I know y'all have heard me talk about her a lot, uh, Christopher. If you win, you'll get to meet Joni in person. Mm-hmm. And she's the whirlwind. Oh, yes. <laughs> that's the, I've been calling that since the day I met her, man. <laughs> I, uh, she's got more patience. I'm telling you what, if I had to deal with all these people, I'd be like, bleep, bleep. What did you say? Bleep, go you your Bleep, bleep. Leave me alone. Bleep, I'm busy. Bleep. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I just, I just couldn't do it. Well no it's 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 you know when you when I'm sitting there because I, I, I do this from a different view. So you know these, these guys are winners these guys are presenters. I'm totally from a whole different perspective so I'm watching by the way John yesterday I started out so I posted some of um, <clears throat> some of was not last year the year before 24 hour story I started putting it on a site and then I went around I realized I had a lot of pictures of certain individuals. So I'm making little files for each one of you. Not little files, just little like clusters. Um, I'm sure some of y'all are going to want me to take some. Not you. All yours look good. Some of the girls are going to want me to take some down. I already, I already know it's going to happen here. And I realized I still have the very first picture I took of your wife when she came in on that uh, Tuesday night from, or was it Wednesday night from working on the gala. Uh, she's she's definitely gonna make me take that one down. <laughs> she's gonna be like Joe. I will hurt you, buddy. <laughs> I will use your own sword on you, buddy. You better you better chill out. Oh, what's that, Donnie? No, what do you mean? Zach's like fifty. He just looks good. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm. <not>. <laughs> <laughs> you can guess. I'm I'm thirty two. Oh, he's a puppy, man. He's a baby. I got, I got boots older than him. Look, Yeah, I do. I got boots older than him. <laughs> no, actually, my, no, it, no, Chris, my son's actually older than Zach. He's 30. He'll be 38 this month, by the way. Yes, don't remind me. It's, it's, a, it's a bitch when your son's 38 years old. You're like, God. It's hard to be 48 when your son's 38. So I got to say, it's, 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 I'm just, that's all I can say about this. Some kind of extraterrestrial BS. Um. Oh, uh, Stephanie wants to know, well, no, I've actually asked him this question before, but since it's a separate show, I asked him anyway. Stephanie wants to know, what is your favorite genre to write in, and who is your favorite author? See, that favorite author thing is hard, y'all. When I ask that question, like, favorite movie. I'm always like, really? I can think of, like, a dozen authors and 15, 20 movies. <laughs> I can I can't answer that question straight out. But anyway, what do you think, Zach? Who, who is your favorite author? Mm-hmm. I would say me, but still, <laughs> that's cheating.
1: Well, I mean, I could say favorite genre to write is definitely science fiction, for mm. sure, without a doubt. I like writing horror sometimes also, and every once in a while I might write something that's more like a fantasy, but um, mostly science fiction. The reason I like science fiction is because uh, I, like, I like the idea that I could write something and one day it'll just be so wrong that people would... <laughs> We'll, not, we'll, we'll read it for laughs. Like it was dramatic. What the hell was this guy thinking? This is so far from what reality is. I've read a few like that over the yeah, years. Yeah, so have I. Um, no, but I like the idea in science fiction of being able to um, take, uh, it's really science fiction or fantasy, but I just like it better in science fiction. But being able to take a concept that in contemporary fiction, I guess you call it, so just sort of straightforward literary fiction, you might have characters pondering ideas like what happens after I die. But in science fiction and fantasy, you can just go there and do it. I just feels like a much more direct way to comment. Or well, I like, like
0: science fiction, ideas. so you're not going to get any complaints out of yeah. me. But um, in terms of
1: favorite author, I mean, I I don't have a favorite author. That's impossible to answer. I,
0: I have favorite... <laughs> I say that all the time. John <laughs> and, said it himself. It's, it's I, a hard question I, to answer.
1: I, I really, really like a lot of the authors that i see on like clark's world uh, on a regular basis if you're familiar with that it's a magazine Mm -hmm. you can read it online um and they have podcasts as well i like a lot of the authors i read in Asimov's, but i I just i like um rather than say author i think what i could tell you is i tend to like uh like contemporary science fiction short fiction
0: so 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 how about, um, what is it, John, um, Near near, Now Science Fiction? Is that how I'm going say it right? Anyway. The,
2: the Near Future?
0: Near, near Future Science Fiction, mm-hmm. sorry. Because, yeah. I, I, you know, some of the stuff I like, like Expanse and Babylon and a few others, I kind of like, you know, there's a line in Expanse. I'm going to always remember that. I, he's not that guy, but I'm that guy. Boo, I'm always going to remember that shit. No, that, was, that was epic, man. He walks in and makes the guy leave. He said, but I'm that guy. He blows his mm-hmm. brains out. No, guys, it's on Expanse. It's it's season four or something like that. Uh, maybe season five. I don't know. Um, but I like stuff like that. But, I, I, man, there's not much sci-fi I don't like. And, yeah. and, I, and I, I can even go back to some stupid ones like Ice Pirates and just dumb shit and, uh, that probably shouldn't even be allowed to be on TV anymore you know it really i'm really truly well i was watching um forbidden planet the other night with uh, leslie nielsen in it, and oh, it. was it's thinking a classic you know, and it's, i enjoy it i mean it's it's, it's it i mean the, the technology as far as what we're concerned is way out of date but it holds up okay and, and the acting is okay it's just and i like the idea about the Iliad and the id you know that's always been a, a thing mm. i've always kind of the id people you don't know what the id is well, we did, I'm not going to even let y'all come to this show anymore. I'm. Just gonna start, <laughs> I'm going to start. I'm going to start having an IQ test to attend this show if y'all don't watch it with these dumbass questions today. Oh my god! I, no, really. I mean, look it up. How's that? Look it up. No, yeah, look it up. Um, I I, I like there's a lot of different kind of sci-fi I like and, and um fantasy, some fantasy. I'm just I, I don't know for some reason I prefer sci-fi over fantasy, but but I do like sci-fi fantasy. So I guess I can't say anything about that, but. Um, most fantasy and maybe when I was younger I kinda liked the dragon stuff and uh things like that. And, uh, but I also like just straight out hardcore stuff too. So mm-hmm. yeah, you know, it's it's uh, I can I can get into some just heavy kind of stuff that most people won't watch. What's your favorite sci fi John? <laughs> that don't count. Oh man. Um but not scroll by. Um re- reprint it. Yeah, reprint it. No, just print it. Yes, no, I know it was a cartoon. Yes, I know. It was a cartoon filled with rock and roll music and half-naked uh, cartoon girls. Which one wow. is it? It's, uh, oh, come on, put it back up. You're going to make me go look it up, aren't you? A, I want to scroll back and let me see it. Let me see if I can go scroll back. Anyway, it's, um, I'm going brain dead. That's, that's what I'm going is brain dead. And where did this comment go? Well guys, I just had it like two seconds in front of me. Where'd you just go? What did I do with that? Uh what the hell? Maybe I just type it in and they'll do it that way.
2: So while what he's done? looking for that, Zach, are you going to, to Superstars?
0: Go I'm
1: not going to superstars actually. No. But have you been um, there? Have you, you've been there before, right? I've not been to Superstars oh. actually. No. It's always it's always at an awkward time when I like uh in terms of like the school year. Oh right! Yeah, it's just an awkward time. But Storm Humbert, another uh, yeah. alum of Writers, I, I think Storm and also John Campbell from my year are, are yeah. both going to be there again this year. They're both they're going to be handing out bookmarks for our next
2: Kickstarter. <laughs> to, yeah, to I had Storm. At, I, I interviewed Storm last year at Superstars for this Kickstarter to to launch yeah. to roll this out in the podcast just as soon as. Uh, I remember the Kickstarter was, was announced. Yeah. So hopefully it helped. Uh, oh, it really- definitely
1: helped. Yeah. I don't know. It, our, our first Kickstarter ended at uh, 268% funded.
2: That's way so cool.
1: That's pretty cool. And so, and now this time uh, we're, we're doing a little bit of a bigger Kickstarter for intergalactic rejects. And by, by the way, if I, if I didn't mention it, it's, it's again, it's the inner workings was our previous Kickstarter and the group that we put together of all, uh, Writers of the Future alumni is called um, Calendar of Fools. We're kind of working towards being a small press, um, little bit. So you're saying, which is which is exciting. Yeah, Um, we have an LLC and everything. It's all very uh, official. Um, But so I edited this first interworkings thing. We might do this concept again in another format. But the next thing we're doing is the Kickstarter for Intergalactic Rejects. We're going to be asking for a little bit more money this time, but that's so that we can try to pay people pro rates. Because we, we, we ended up at $0.07 cents for this one instead of $0.08, cents, which is kind of annoying. Um, and <laughs> $0.08, this thing eight, eight cents talking, per okay. is, is the pro, uh, right? Yeah. Uh, but we names. also – we have bigger names this time, and we also are going to have an open call. And usually that both of those things are going to
2: help, you know. Absolutely. Now, what, that's interesting you've got that because that's what Kevin did when he created uh, WordFire. And uh, with um, Dean Wesley Smith, with Chris, they created their own publishing house because it's just – they couldn't work with other publishers. So they just created their own publishing house to handle mm. their works. So for you guys doing this, it, guarantees that you got a press and as you build up that base mm-hmm. and you've got an amazing, you know, initial with, with all these, your alumni there. Yeah. Um, you guys are all have your careers that you're building. It's going to result in a good base and, and what you, your audience versus, you know, storms versus, you know, all the other guys there. Mm-hmm. Will cross, you'll cross flow to each other and you'll end up with a lot bigger audience for your each of your works, which would be great. And then you'll have a solution, not wait for some other publisher or some other because you've got you guys control the vertical and the horizontal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That was a big part of our discussion and doing it. I kept kept saying ad nauseum, rising tide lifts all boats. (laughs) I kept saying it over and over again because that's what it felt like. And as a result of all of this, I really feel as though. uh, we're a, our, the 36, 37 double year, mm-hmm. you know, despite it, basically our, our writers of the future year got delayed for a while because of COVID. Um, Cause it was supposed to be 2020 yeah. for volume 36. And so obviously it got pushed back a lot. And then we ended up sharing our year with a lot of the people in 37, but also I don't know if it's, I think it's just random. It just happens to be this way, but I mean, everything you could possibly <laughs> want to get out of writers of the future. I think our, cohort got right i mean we got the whole usual amazing experience but also that we got made this big friend group that then also turned into now this uh, small mm. press that we've been working on and we're now working on our second book like that's you know no, you've you <laughs> like, raised the ball <laughs> that, that's really it.
2: but it's yeah. interesting too because i've i've interviewed people on, on the podcast mm-hmm. and Going back to Volume Three, they're still in touch with each other. You know, I that's know. like yeah. almost four decades. They're still talking to each other, and that was Joe's first year attending the Rise of the Future. Yep. It was your year? It was right. the first time yeah, invited um,
0: What the hell? I guess when he left, it disappeared. It's the um, it's rock and roll. The girls, bright and flowing hair, big boobs hanging out all over the place. They play rock music the whole damn time. Are you talking about heavy, heavy metal? metal? That's what it yeah. was. Heavy metal. Okay. God I was That like, magazine I, still exists, by the way. Yeah, so there's one heavy metal, and then there was another was a heavy metal two thousand or something. And uh yeah, there was a
1: heavy metal, a heavy metal two thousand. There's also all those um those uh Frank Bakshi, Bakshi, mm. that, that guy, another cartoonist. He made um Fire and Ice, I think it was, which is a, a fantasy cartoon from the eighties. Very well, Fire and
2: Ice also was the was the uh, a book that was done to Frank Frazetta too, of his art. There was a whole yes. thing on that fire and ice, and and a short video, a short movie, a documentary of his stuff too called I, Fire and Ice.
1: I don't know if they're connected, but I wouldn't be surprised. Certainly, if the the Bakshi movie is very much inspired by that by the Frazetta type of art. I mean, it, it's like Conan the Barbarian kind of stuff. Right. But it's like the movie's oh. from like 1986 or something. Uh-huh. If you haven't seen it? It's actually pretty. It's pretty cool. It's got a lot of like rotoscoping art, uh, like uh, wow. animation in it as well. Yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So
0: that's good. And, uh, guys, like heavy metal was just heavy metal. It should be on its own. It's not, whatever y'all saying over there, it's just, it's not the same thing. But it's, it's, it was, you know what it was really for was pothead music is what it was. Well, not the music, but the film, the, the movie itself, yes. The movie it was itself a, was definitely a pothead movie. It was a stoner movie. Maybe take some acid or something. I don't know. There's a lot of flashing colors in it and stuff. I don't know, people. I, it's it's sci-fi, but I don't know you saying it's all great and fabulous and fantastic. I mean, it was fun to watch, but it wasn't much more than that. I, I, I'm i not a huge I mean, a huge fan of heavy metal, any, well, heavy metal music. Yeah, I'm a big fan of heavy metal music. I'm not going to lie, but uh, there's not much music in, in all fair. You got to remember, I've got a lot of kids and grandkids, so it's not much music I don't like. I, I listen. If you ever listen to the shows, you'll hear me play country, you'll hear me play rock. Like, you know, that night I was playing Sandman from, from Metallica. Uh, I was playing Johnny Cash, This is America, I'm America, something. Just sometimes we'll play some hardcore stuff like that, and then sometimes we'll just play whatever. We had some bubblegum on a couple of weeks before that, you know, You know, just all, all cover tunes, but. I just got a big repertoire of music that I like. Movies, I see. I'm kind of with Zach. My problem with movies and TV is, is I got to stop to watch. Mm-hmm. So my wife gets mad at me about this because I like to um, just put on something I've seen a hundred times late at night, so I'll go to sleep. Because if it's anything interesting, I'm going to watch it, and then I'm going to stay awake. So I, I, you know, I use it to slow down. But as far as just watching TV or even going for the movies, that eh, it's just I can't sit still that long, guys. Nah. Uh, You know, as it is, I'll have either a laptop or a pad on my lap. If if I'm in the living room talking with friends or watching TV, I'll still have usually my laptop. Well, I got my new Apple pad back, so it's usually on my lap now. But um, it's just uh, my brain has to be doing more than one thing. Yes. Yes. I don't when I cross over to the other side I, when they say did you waste your time, I said, What do you mean, man? you <laughs> have no free time with no time wasted? What the <laughs> hell are you talking about? <laughs> uh, so I said, I could have used a little extra time, maybe a 36 hour day instead of 24. Um cool. So Zach, uh, Jim, I'm
2: curious, how do you come with story ideas? That's a good question.
0: Uh
1: usually it depends. They could come from anywhere, honestly. I don't have like a a model that I use for it, but
2: right.
1: it's, it's either I had a dream or I saw something that was like visually interesting. And I decide to start like writing it out in words uh-huh. and just kind of build a story from there. Or sometimes like the one that's in Asimov's right now. Um, so it's in the, my current story is called early adopter in this issue of Asimov's. And what happened with that one was, I don't know if I was listening to a podcast or something where they were talking about Neuralink, which is the new um, oh
0: Elon Musk's little baby. Elon Musk
1: thing. And so this this is supposed to be a technology where it's it's a the original conception of it is you know what if we could put some kind of neural interface inside of a, a quadriplegic person's brain so that they could use their brain power to control machinery and and surf the web and whatever without help. Uh, And then, of course, because he's Elon Musk, he says, and then who knows what could happen (laughs) in the future with this technology? What
0: what amazing things we'll be able to do. The evil bastard, I'm telling you, but I still love you. (laughs) Uh,
1: And so then my my immediate thought, I mean, because I I, what I say is like uh, usually is you know, everyone's going to have a different reaction to that information. A sociologist versus a, uh, mm. uh, you know, oil rig worker versus me as a sex therapist is going to have a different reaction to that. And of course, my initial thought was like, I wonder how people will have, will use a neural implants for sex.
0: <laughs> the, was that the, could be interesting. That. Now. There, there, could be, there could be but, some, well, I don't know. We, we might have to change the radio on the show for this. That was your story idea. That was, yeah. Well, because, because I was thinking like,
1: because, you know, you want to do something new and interesting, right? You know, the, the, the science fiction MacGuffin in your story should be yeah. interesting, as well as writing a good story that's like an adventure or whatever type of story you're writing. And my immediate thought was, you know, every single piece of technology that gets invented, someone finds a way to have sex with it or use it for sex. Like, it's just a they thing do. that people do, right? Do. And I thought, yeah. if, we have, if we have neural interfaces that let us surf the web and maybe send emails, like, we could be having this whole... Uh, radio show, like like telepathically, I guess. If we both have it, things, yeah. made, I thought immediately. How will this be used for sex? And how is that going to fuck up people's lives? Well, life? you know,
0: Bluetooth Bluetooth yeah. changed sex in a major way, so I can only imagine what this is going to do. Right, exactly.
1: And so yeah. then for the story, I that that was it. I was like, okay, that's an interesting concept. And then am I? And then I just have to pick like what what do I think is going to happen? What kind of tone am I going for? And then. I'm more of a, uh, what you call a pantser. Uh, yeah. so, so some people may know this, some people may not, but when it comes to writing, there's this sort of spectrum. And on one far end, you have plotters, and on one far end, you have pantsers. And some good, like a far end plotter would be Orson Scott Card. My understanding, is that, yeah, my understanding is that Orson Scott Card spent two or three years writing the outline for Ender's Game, and then two or three months actually writing the book something like that where you know the outline was very very detailed and then the actual writing of the book was kind of a snappy thing he did at the end right and then at the far other end you have pantsers and the most famous version is stephen king who i think you can tell if you read his books that he's pantsing them and pantsing means you kind of go in without an outline and you're basically improvising your way through the story from one moment to the next martin shoemaker who you had on your show previously joe he's like a master pantser he i mean he'll he does a thing at conferences uh, called the instant short story show or the instant book show or something like that where he basically gets up in front of the audience and he dictates the story out loud and then um at firecon this past year and i think the year before maybe the year before that he did the instant book show where over the course of three days they basically wrote like a novelette or a novella or something and then at the end he showed everybody how to publish a new story you've written on amazon so with, over a weekend basically <laughs> he wrote the whole thing I think Dean Wesley, uh, uh, Dean Wesley Smith, right? Yeah. I think I think he does that too. He's, he's a pantser. Um So there's this gradient, right? It's not you're one or the other. You can kind of be somewhere in the middle. I'm more of a panzer, so I'll I'll have that idea of you know how is Neuralink going to mess up how we have sex? Or, well, okay, I should say how will it be interesting and weird and bad, <laughs> and also maybe good? You know, it could be mm-hmm.
0: all those. of ways it's going to be good. <laughs> it
1: could Be all those things. So I, I'm immediately curious about that, and then I just sit down and start writing. I, I don't outline very much. I might think for, I might like have the idea and then kind of mull it over in my mind for a few days, maybe take a note. If it's really interesting, I don't want to forget it, but I'm not writing an outline. I just sit down and do it. Um, yeah. And it's done and edit. yeah.
2: Yeah. Cause the main thing I like with um, several of our judges too, but like you mentioned Dean Wesley Smith, I mean, he writes about hundred thousand words a month. He's got a magazine that. He publishes with about 90,000 words. He writes everything. That's all mm-hmm. his work. Plus Mm -hmm. he's got his novels that he does and he's now almost 75 and he's going for 75 books with his byline on it. Mm -hmm. He
0: looks good for 75, by the way.
2: Yeah, no, he's definitely uh, cranking it out there. But like um, Jerry Purnell, you know, I mean, he mentioned he was one of our judges. He passed um, five years ago or so after coming back from Dragon Con Mm -hmm. and uh, got the con crud. But he said like, you know, you got to be willing to throw away your first 500,000 to 1,000 words and t- to build your voice. But now you've got Dean. He writes first draft and mm-hmm. just is able to submit. Elwin um, Hubbard was able to write uh, first draft because he was writing 100,000 words a month for you know year after year and doing his stuff. When he wrote Battlefield Earth, 425,000 words. That was eight months he wrote that. And Mission Earth, 1.2 million words, is also in eight months. So it's just once you get that good wait, you're getting many, better wait, wait, you're wait, wait,
0: wait. how many words 1.2 million is that what you said
2: yeah in okay, eight right, months yeah did, okay go back i just want to make sure i heard that right yeah yeah you did Incredible. and so as you write more you're able to then you can go to that panzer side because you can conceive that. okay here's the story here's the setting okay here's the plot structure this is where i want to go and this is how i want to end it Hey, okay, let the games begin you just write and yeah. Van Vogt used to tell this story, Van Vogt, who was also one of the grandmasters of science fiction. He's the one that wrote Slan. He um, said he watched Hubbard once write, and he just put the paper in his typewriter, and he looked towards the wall, not at the wall, <laughs> but towards the wall, and just started typing. And he watched the story, and he'd type it as the story unfolded. Yeah. And he said he watched him do that, and he was just amazed how he was able to do that. But you find these, these masters who were able to do that type of, of writing – you know, So like you say, you're able to pants like that. Um, that's the whole thing of that. Is be able, you get the idea. You're just you're telling your story and you're able to translate that from your mind to the typewriter keys. And Providing you know how to type, you're good. I, I think of
1: it as um, I mean, I call it pantsing, but I really lean on the improvising side. I don't even necessarily know the ending of a story when I start writing it. I'm OK just getting into it. And what, the thing that's that was a, that was definitely a learning curve, but I gotten a lot better at it is to start panting and be actually writing the story on the first page and not just hanging out somewhere for like five pages before a story starts. That's a thing to get over. But once you can sort of get right into the story and pants, you don't even need to know the ending. And I generally don't. I'm glad I live in the age where it's, you know, having a, a word processor on your computer is common because my process specifically is to kind of sit down start writing play around do a lot of improvising as i as i go through the story and once i reach the end and the ending has shown itself to me and i know where the story is going i go back and i edit and i edit in all of the like you know the foreshadowing that i need if i didn't have it before i'll put that back in and kind of shape it because it's always easier to edit than to originate something so i kind of do that as the process but uh speaking of um improvising I really recommend this book to everybody. It's called, uh, it's called free play, um, improvisation in life and art by Stephen Nakmanovich. And he's a, he's like a jazz violinist or something, which is, that's a niche market for that, I guess, but he's a, he's a jazz
0: violinist.
1: I mean, I love some Jean-Luc Ponty, but he, I don't know a very many other, uh, jazz but anyways so um so the but the the book's really interesting and i use it actually in therapy a lot too because his his perspective in the book is yeah when people say improv they usually are thinking of either improv comedy so people making stuff up live on stage or they're thinking of improv music you know where you're sort of improvising your, your notes and your next thing but his point in the book and and i i don't know i don't I don't find this refutable, is that actually in your life all the time you're improvising? Every moment is an improvisation. This discussion we're having right now—I am mean, I'm improvising this entire
2: yeah.
1: uh, sort of radio podcast. All of you are—we're all improvising it all the time. And so, Joe's says, got his cue cards. Yeah, don't worry. That's right. I got my damn
0: cue cards. I don't know what y'all talking about. Look, oh, they somewhere around here, right here, right here. I got them right there.
1: But the idea—the <laughs> idea would be that you can, if you accept that. Then you can use all the tools of improvising on, in your daily life as you go through your daily life, but also obviously you can use it in writing a story. And I already know a lot about musical improv because I'm a musician. I love mm-hmm. a lot of types of music that have improv, jazz, and I'm a, people don't tend to know this, but I'm a big uh, bluegrass guy. Love bluegrass. Oh, I
2: love bluegrass. Um, so
1: you kind of, t- I was able to take those, take the sort of, kind of fearless don't care too much what you're going to write attitude that comes with playing music. Like when you get up to improvise with a band and you're just jamming and you're playing around, half the fun is just trying something and you don't really know where it's going to go or what's going to happen. And you don't lose anything if it sucks. It's just, okay, you learn something. Don't do that next time. Right. You could do the same thing in writing. Is just sit down and start going and you can go back and edit something later if you need to. But then you actually have a product rather than sitting there with the blank screen. So that's that. Makes sense.
2: Yeah. It was interesting cuz I just finished I have the, the podcast that I do the Rise of Future Podcasts and mm-hmm. I, I end up reading about, about a book a week to keep up with all my interviews and so I just finished uh about an hour ago uh, Mark Leslie Mark Leslie LaFave he's um uh an author up in Canada mm-hmm. and um he's got this uh series it started off as a short story idea uh mm-hmm. Canadian werewolf and he started, it went from a short story to novella, then it became a novel. And then the fans said, what else you got? You know, we need more of that. We want more of this guy, Michael. And so then he wrote the next book. And was saw the next book. And then he's, then it became a series. He had no idea it was going to go like that. It just like went. And then what I just finished right now was uh, book six. And this one here, he's got his girlfriend and then it, it's set up. It's two first person stories it's written in. And then it's now spinning off that line going off and then a three-part series following it. It's just its amazing how it's growing just from this spark of an idea. Never mm-hmm. a plan for doing that, but it, uh, now that's what happened. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Uh, I mean, again, I understand for some people they need the outline, and there's many amazing books that are written off the but outlines. Sure. But even the outline, I mean – when someone says they're an outliner, what they really mean is I like my improvising to be in a very specific box. There you go. <laughs> like, there you go. They're still they're still improvising. It's just when I improvise, I want to. Basically, it's like saying the 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 context in which I feel the most safe playing and improvising is one in which I'm not wasting time writing a lot of sentences and paragraphs. I'm just putting it down on a note, and that makes total sense to me. It's just not how I want to operate, but because I because I think I get the most out of actually typing out the dialogue and seeing how the characters feel to actually write them. Um, right. But I think people, some people can get that from their outline and that's totally fine for them. But the core of the idea with improv is the same. It's just allow yourself to play, just play around, have fun. If if you're not having fun with the story, the audience is definitely not having fun with the story. Well, right? sure. that, that's a big part of it. So,
2: For yeah. sure. But it also might seem to like with short stories by the very nature of a short story, you can't have multiple storylines. Mm-hmm. You don't have enough real estate to deal with it. Yeah. So it's it's probably easier to do that, like what you're saying there, or like the you know the the panther. But in order to have a novel, especially in today's very complex, at least mm-hmm. some readers like the complex, like the Brandon Sanderson stories, where you've got sure. all these layers, they need to be intricately woven to make it so that it sure. comes across seamless, but then they come together and you've got like 10 storylines running and something. And I have, I personally have problems with those. Cause I have, I've got a week to get through a book, you know, so <laughs> I've got to be, I've got to be able like, I can handle four or 500 pages, but boy, when That's they right? get to these, these, these behemoths, you know, I just, I just can't do that. And just yeah. sometimes I'm going two or three books to prepare, like right now in the middle of three books, cause I've got, five interviews set up for the upcoming superstars in a few weeks. And I'm like jamming to get through them all. So I can work out my questions, have all the uh, interviews prepared, and then we can just get through them about going like, okay, so what was your book again?
1: You know, I hope everyone's hey, listening. John's the hardest working man in show business. He
2: is that, <laughs> that man. That was so never stopped. <laughs>
0: <clears throat> he, yeah. he is, he is nonstop going the whole time I see him.
1: I mean, I, um, I will admit, by the way, I have an outline for the book that I want to write. <laughs> <laughs> so so to to john's point that with a book you might want to have you might want to have an outline because there's you need more of the plot lines coming together yeah for sure um yeah but i'm also very open to once i start writing that book to kind of allow it to go Oh for sure going to go and also i'm i'm planning the book i'm writing uh, uh the book i'm writing instead of my dissertation <laughs> <laughs> uh is my uh,
0: dissertation. Yeah.
1: I keep bringing it back cuz I need to remind myself that I need to do it. But uh the the book that I'm working on is sort of a uh I'm trying to remember what my my elevator pitch was. I have it written down. It's pretty good. But it's <laughs> it's, it's I haven't had to say it in a while cuz the book doesn't exist. Um, but but the elevator pitch for the book is basically something about how uh the, there's a uh, been a break in reality in um, in Seattle. Not that that matters, but sort of a break in reality, and things can. If enough people believe in something, it can become true in this area, right? And so one half of the story is this dog that can talk now because someone believed that that could be the case and it became true. Who's trying to find its owner who left because of the disaster, and the other half of the story is ten years in the future that uh the owner of the dog in the future who is building a podcast about this event that happened and so what the reason i did it that way is because it kind of gives me an opportunity to have one side of the book be an adventure which is following this dog who talks (laughs) on its journey through this very sort of psychedelic um uh, world um Mm -hmm. and going through it's sort of a very sort of kind of traditional adventure and the other half of the book i get to tell short stories because it's because it's a podcast, so the, um, the host of the podcast is, uh, each, each chapter is an episode where he's talking to someone about their experience in the disaster. So I get to tell a little short story. So I get to kind of use both. I outline this epic adventure on one side, and on the other side, I get to tell little short stories. Um, and like I said, when I finish the dissertation, <laughs> <laughs> right. I'll definitely try to write this book.
2: Uh, that's the plan. That's funny. It's like that. Hubbard wrote this book called Typewriter in the Sky, and yeah. the author there, Horace Hackett, um, his editor keeps on coming. Okay, so where's the book? You know, he hasn't started it at all yet, but he's he mm-hmm. sold it. He's already gotten the money, and he's already spent the mo- his advance on it. So he's describing. He's giving his perfect elevator pitch, and he goes, "Yeah, so where is it? You know." So you know, he keeps on telling the story, digging himself bigger and bigger, deeper and deeper in the hole. You know, about the story he hasn't written, but the editor mm-hmm. said. I need it. I need it. But he Mm -hmm. hasn't, he hasn't uh, started it yet. Just
1: elevator pitched it. Yes. This is me forever perpetually, but (laughs) I think people should be worried. Once I start writing those, those books, it's not going to stop. They're just going to keep coming and coming. So it's good. You got a publishing house to take care of it for you. That's right. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what I do with that. Like, it'll be interesting to see where the publishing uh, house will be at that time. Um, but I also, you know, because I've, I've got the sort of Asimov's and, and analog connections, there's there is traditional publishing opportunities as well. I mean, that's a whole nightmare in and of itself, but I think it's worth giving it a shot. Um, so we'll see. We'll see, what, we'll see where, where things are in a few years.
2: <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had some I've that's had funny. both ends of the spectrum. I've had the yours is Scott Card, who's totally into the traditional publishing yeah, and yeah. Nettie Corfor is very much into that as well. Mm-hmm. But then you mentioned Dean Wesley Smith. He's just like I'm done with it. Um, you know, he likes he writes a lot, and so these the traditional publishers will do one book a year. So he's like, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And then um, we also have Hugh Howey. He started off self-publishing with his with his stories. Right. Did really well. Went traditional. Didn't like didn't like the. The control points so he went back to indie i mean mm-hmm. to self-publishing indie publishing mm-hmm. is self-publishing his stories and uh because then he could do whatever keep his own pace whatever the size length of the book he wants he could just he controls all those points on it, and he's now obviously built up sufficient audience space it's not a problem for him to do that right because um, he's got the two tv series now and a third one in the works with his books so he's like you know he's a happening dude that's why it's uh, it's challenging to navigate the the
1: world right now because it's sort of like publishing world. I mean, I mm-hmm. guess the world in general is hard to know. Yeah, the are now, just the publishing. Yeah, just the publishing. It's because there. It's very similar to what's happened in the music world. A lot of musicians complain about the fact that things have shifted now where you being a good songwriter and a good performer is not really enough to make it anywhere in particular. It's not the old days where you could, which I was not around for, but I know of <laughs>
0: where, where you could, where he's you a could, baby. Don't forget guys. Yeah, know, good. Where
1: where you could go and you could move to a city that had a and people in New York or in LA, something like that. And you could, be playing really good shows, have some good songs, and somebody would come out and see you and just take a chance on recording your album and seeing if they could sell a bunch of records. Nowadays, the major labels, uh, they basically are uh, much more similar to uh, almost like talent agencies where they're promoting people as celebrities and the music is kind of an afterthought, right? I need to know if you make, you know, trap or if you make, you know, country rock, or I need to know what basic bucket to put you in. But then the main way that they build up audience is just through social media. The most interesting thing I had heard about this was conceptualizing the difference between Bob Dylan, right? And, you know, any modern folk artist, right? Bob Dylan, part of the fun, or part of the expectation, at least, was the mystique, right? Like, he would put out a record, and that was when you got to hear something about what he was thinking from the lyrics, from the music, etc. But otherwise, he was in the wind. You didn't know where he was, right? Nowadays, though, it's the opposite. The audience expectation is not mystique. The audience expectation is total uh, – t- uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Total <laughs> – I'm thinking intrusiveness.
0: <laughs> that's not intrusiveness. really what I mean. But, but the <laughs> yeah, the is expectation
1: working. is that is that you are posting – basically every other day at at minimum so that your audience can see what you're doing. So instead of there being a mystique, it's, I know what my favorite artist is doing all the time. I know what they had for breakfast. I know when they're going to the studio, I know, you know, what, what they're eating on tour for lunch, like all of this stuff that you would, at a granular level, it's not even like generally, what were they doing this week? It's what were they doing today at 11 (laughs) AM? And there, there's an expectation that from the audience now that if you're not Putting out that amount of content all the time, people will just sort of stop paying attention, and the algorithm as well will pull people away from paying attention to you. Unless you have a pre-existing uh, celebrity uh, that people will just keep waiting to hear from you. You know, if you're a very very mm-hmm. famous person, um, you need to be posting. So then it becomes very challenging as an author or a writer. I'm sorry, it's the same thing. As an author or a uh, or a musician or a different type of artist. It becomes challenging to say, okay, if I really want to quote unquote make it, uh, meaning having a lot of viewers, being financially successful at it, I need to not only be creative in terms of what I want to do, but I also have to learn how to navigate social media, or else I probably won't get anywhere. Like, I'd be very lucky to get somewhere not being a social media maven of some sort.
2: And because of the, everybody carrying the, you know, they've all got their phones and taking pictures and video stuff, the stress level goes up a hundred X because mm-hmm. they, they can't do anything. They can't say anything. You can have some guys they are just, they're whacked out and they just, then they do the things that they make some post or some statement, which then just kills their career. Exactly. You know, yeah, so. but they become very, very paranoid about what they say, how they look, you know, and it just makes it all the harder that stress, not just doing a good song or writing a good book, but also how do I look saying the right thing, being in the right place, being the right people, they can get totally paranoid about that, which is unfortunate.
0: Yeah. Uh, Stephanie, that is John Good who's speaking. That's Zach B up at the top. And of course, if you don't know who I am, you shouldn't be watching the damn show in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, what was the question? I seen to go by. Oh, no, I tell you what, I will ask that to Zach, but like the last 10 minutes. Because I don't want to get off of that. <laughs> no, it's a good question, but we'll ask him. It has nothing to do with author stuff. By the way, it was what we were talking about at the beginning of the show. He had some guy ask me a question. So we'll wait till the end of the show and then we'll ask him. Um, what do you mean when you see John Goodwin? You can see John Goodman. He goes all over the damn country. At least once <laughs> a month, he's somewhere. I mean, no, That's really. True. That's very true. He's, he's, I mean, you can see him in Tampa. You can see him in dragon con. You can see him in, in Utah. You can see him out at the Christmas parade. Well, I mean, Christmas, you know, a little ways away, but anyway, um, he's, he's everywhere.
2: And Next he's I'll, be in Col- there, I'll be in Colorado Springs. And then a week after I'll be in, um, Provo, Utah for life, the universe and everything. Yes.
0: Oh, and whoever wrote that, you're not allowed to talk to Emily unless I'm present. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. That's just how that works. Uh, Oh no, I, you know, yeah, because Sarah, just, y'all won't hear me. I was talking, we're not going to talk about today. But I do pick on Sarah a lot. No, the, the Sarah in the room is not the Sarah I'm talking about. Oh Lord. Anyway, what else y'all got for us tonight? Anybody sending me dinner? You can buy me a pizza, people. I'm hungry. You know, I'm starving. <laughs> Man, me he'll go for pizza too. John says, sure, he'd go. You know, make it a three way. Sinosola pizza, yeah,
1: um, <laughs> different parts of the country.
0: <laughs> I, I get it's funny because people will. I haven't had people send me food so. One day I'm sitting here, I was whining about something. I said, "Man, I could go from a good, good steak from Babylon, you know." So, and uh, and we, I was just talking about thirty minutes later, I heard it, my doorbell ring. I'm like, "What the hell?" Is that? And I was, I was in the studio by myself. I'm like, "I said, hold, on, I'll be right back." And somebody was with me, started talking. And I come back, man, big old t boat steak. <laughs> wow I was like, who sent me this man I said oh man thank you very much so I'm not going to be able to eat it at the moment but <laughs> I'll put it in the refrigerator until later it's good too by the way it's a good steak um, no anybody can do uh, the startup stuff anybody can it doesn't matter you just, you just got to adhere to their rules and remember whatever amount you put down you better get or you don't get anything no so if you say 50,000 you better reach 50,000 or guess what you're going to get a big you say I, I would start out something small is what I do, but yeah, you know, whatever y'all think. I don't have anything on Kickstarter. Got stuff coming up on pay for view, by the way, pretty soon, but n- nothing on Kickstarter. Oh yes, ladies and gentlemen, we've. Um, I was working with some of the newer hosts on some new pay for listen stuff or pay for view stuff. You should. As a matter of fact, Sean, Sean Hasler, who's going to be on starting on Sunday nights in February, he's going to have some of the pay for view stuff there as well. So. He's a right of the future winner, too. Well, we're always, we're always recruiting hosts. I mean, we, we have two networks. So real quick, this network is almost full. United Public Radio will be full. And then what they'll do is is they'll take all of the so-called esoteric stuff and move it back to UFO Paranormal and leave United Public with shows like this, News on the flip side, uh, some, of the, some of the shows that are into science and stuff like that will stay here. And then so you'll, it's, it'll be two – it used to be two separate networks. Uh, So it'll go back to being that. So you'll have one network that's just full. Yeah, they'll actually be competing against each other. Uh, But you'll have one network that's just basically going to be full of news and science and other stuff. And one network's going to just all esoteric stuff. Yes. If it's an alien or a demon or something along like that, it'll be on that network. Yes. Well, that's how it was in old days. We're just going back to that. We're getting too many shows. Plus, there's at least a dozen people I want to recruit in the next couple of months, so as it grows, I, I need more space. Yes, uh, John, don't want. John's the boss. He don't have to write no damn books.
1: That reminds me. By the way, I just noticed that this was up here. This is. Have you ever read uh, read this production by Johnny Mac? Uh,
0: oh no. yeah, actually I have. Oh yeah, I have. I just saw that there. I was like,
1: that's very, uh, very related to this whole channel. It's an interesting book. He's a. a, a, a I guess he's a psychiatrist. He went a, around. It was
0: a it was a tenured a tenured psychologist yeah. and uh, at Harvard, a, I
1: think. At so Harvard, yeah. Or Maybe it was, it was Yale. Yale. It might have been. No, Yale. It,
0: it it was one of the Ivy Leagues because I remember when it all came out, they flipped out because one of their one of their tenured professionals was saying, "Oh God, alien abductions are real." He also and, has a yeah. Pulitzer Prize. Harvard yes, he he was Harvard. Harvard yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, a friend of mine, um, P.O. Harris, it was a good friend of his. And, uh, and they used to travel around together and um, you know, attend conferences and stuff like that and meet people. He, he, he worked in the, in the same field I work in. It's just we took a little bit different approach than he did. We, we kept it scientific because, to be honest, you can't talk about – I mean, you can talk about UFOs all day long. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's hmm. just something flying around the sky. Unidentified flying object means just that. Uh, when you talk alien abduction, that's a whole different thing. And, and you need hard science. You need, you need stuff. You know, you need proof. You need something other than, "Hey, I was probed by an extraterrestrial." Well, good for you. Mm-hmm. I need, I need something, and you know, somebody said, "Well, you do hypnosis." I said, "Hypnosis is not proof." Even though I am so strict and we don't we don't allow any questions asked that could taint somebody's memory, it's still not proof. It's second. It's 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 like an eyewitness. It's yeah. it's good, but it's not good enough. No, people, I hate eyewitnesses, by the way, because I've had ten people in the same freaking room give me eight different descriptions. You know, I'm thinking to myself, was everybody on crack? No, these were just everyday normal people, and still eight different descriptions. It's it's irritating. What do you want to see, Zach? Right? What? Oh Wait, wait. Let me get this straight. I saw a psychology sex books, but the the oh, so okay, I got, I got, no, I got, I got, I got, I got, I got it. So he wants you to write a psychology sex books, but the the your customers will be extraterrestrials. <laughs> so so let me get this straight. You want him to discuss sex. And psychology with an extra any 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 particular type of extraterrestrial, maybe a gray, a reptilian, a humanoid, or something like that. You, know, you don't care just as long as it's <laughs> I'm just asking. you don't want to posted this shit up here, not me. <laughs> I don't know. I, I see weird shit like that all the time. Cause you know, I've gotten sitting somewhere on a, over next to me is three outlines of three different books, but they're not a, it's not like like what I'm writing right now. And right what I'm writing right now is a story, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but these three are, are drafted outlines are for more of a hard kind of, kind of slash documentary, or slash, uh, it's hard to explain, but, uh, most of what's in there is all facts, stuff, that's information that the organization has been working on for more than three decades. Uh, so it, it's interesting and it's stuff like the blood type studies are in there and things like that. Uh, so it, and it's, and then, but you can't really put cases in because look, UFO cases that like. Travis Walton cases and the the boys down in Pascal—they made great movies, like Roswell. They made a whole great series, but it doesn't prove anything. Mm-hmm. It does not prove to anybody that those things were actually real. Even though I talked to um one of the one of the what's his name's son down in Louisiana about what he what they saw in Roswell and all the stuff the guy brought home, but still, without the stuff they brought home, it's it's hearsay. It's circumspect. I mean, I can't. Uh, it, but you know what's weird about this? I could win any case in the United States in a, in a courtroom for the proof of extra trust. I could win it hands down, not any problem at all. Just with just with witnesses alone, it wouldn't even be a, a thing. But it's it doesn't still doesn't prove anything. So you can win it in case of law, but it's always the same thing. Always applies extraordinary claims need extraordinary explanations, and or extraordinary evidence should be a better way of saying it. And um, et just doesn't leave that behind. Other than in, in damaged people, I mean, other than that, the only things that help us out is that Icar keeps half. It's it's abduction criteria secret, and so when we get people that come into the organization and say this, this, or this, if it's if it's hitting on these targets marks, then we know we got something because they have not been made public yet. We made half our stuff public, and you you can bet your ass how many people try to hoax it. But uh, the stuff that's not, you know, that's what we're looking for, and for people to come in and say this, 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 and this. And we're looking for particular types of keywords or trigger memories or things like that. Something that we can work from that may actually be real. Because really, like I said, when you and I were talking about it earlier, I'm not a psychologist. So I don't want to hear, oh, grandpa raped me or something. It's just, that's not extraterrestrial, is it? You got to go with somebody else for that. And a lot of that stuff on the hypnosis, unfortunately, comes out. Matter of fact, I'm hypnotizing a lady just recently because they're doing a documentary on Buffalo. I'm hypnotizing this lady. And so I asked her to tell me the most traumatic event. You know, I should have I should have been more clear with the question. I should have said extraterrestrial. So which I thought would have been the most tra- Nope, it was not. It was some stupid shit when her husband was sick uh in the hospital. And that was what it was. Then she went on for like 40 minutes about it. And I was like, Well, that has nothing to do with aliens, sweetheart. <laughs> so if that's the thing that scared you the most, I think you're in pretty good shape. Uh, so yeah, I just you just don't know what you're gonna get into when you pop the hood. I mean, you just mm-hmm. And I'm sure you're familiar with it because you never know what's going to come out of somebody's mouth. And we're so strict about certain words. You can't use alien. You can't use extraterrestrial. Can't use spaceship. Can't use any of this. I, I need them to tell me in their own words that that's what they saw. What do you mean? Elon Musk is that? He might be. Elon Musk is the guy from Moonraker. I'm telling y'all. He's brilliant. He's insightful. And somewhere down the line, he's going to put big lasers around Mars and say, keep out SOBs. Um, Y'all think I'm playing with? Y'all. He's he already said he wants to take at least ten of his kids to Mars, and and have a family of at least five hundred on Mars. He, he his goal is by twenty thirty two, to have more than a million people living on Mars. Uh, that's his. It's going to be Muskville. It's going to be his colony. What do you mean we can't get there? Neither can the Chinese or the Russians. He'll be there all alone. Us <laughs> stupid asses will still be sitting out here trying to figure out how to get there. Unless he lets us use his rockets, we're not getting anywhere. Oh, man, it's, it's just – you should write a book about that. You know, there's, a, there's actually – maybe it's on Netflix. There's a series. Um, it's, it's a it's a series about going to Mars. It's a pretty good series. But throughout the series, they actually bring in famous scientists and famous people like Elon to talk about how this is working, how this is working, how this is going to play out. It also, which is nice, brings in the economics of politics into the into what it's – how because it's, we're not going to Mars without politics and economics. It's just not going to happen. I mean, John's rich. He might be able to give on the money to go, but I, I can't do that. It's uh, I, mean, I don't
1: know if John's maybe. that rich. <laughs> John who?
0: <laughs> Emily said he's worth four or five billion dollars. Man, I'm like, Shit, you can buy your own spaceship for that? Uh, you could buy me? you could buy your own spaceship for all of that, maybe. Yeah, it's probably all of that's probably. Well, no one of them, one of them Falcon X and Blue Horizon things you can get for one of those. One of them junky Jeff Bezos ships, you know. <laughs> no Jeff I'm just teasing man I love you man I'm, I'm just glad I, I, I made a bet with a friend of mine going this is 30 years ago I was hosting Wake Up USA I said the only way we're going to ever really get into deep space and get there quickly is a privatized space I said what you're going to see is all of a sudden these billionaires are going to start competing with each other who can get out the asteroid belt first and start mining all of those asteroids but at that time they had found a nickel-iron a- asteroid that was worth $150 billion, which is probably about a trillion today. But recently, they found the one that's worth more, more, than, more than everything on the planet combined, one asteroid. So just think, if you're the guy that goes out there and gets that, you are now the richest being that's ever existed in this part of the galaxy. Um, and they're going to do it. That's something they're going to do.
2: Well, that was uh, the golden age of science fiction. That was the whole thing privatizing to, to get into space and that was the whole thing because there was like Heinlein and Hubbard and several of the other science fiction writers because they'd all just experienced World War II and Korea was, was escalating. was looking for a, World War III was rapidly coming around the corner. So they started writing books to put people's attention on going into space. And that was what helped to, uh, uh, predicate the, um, space race because it was an arms race that was happening in the early fifties. And they just said, no, let's switch, switch it. And so they were writing like, um, you know, there was, uh, Heinlein wrote about the moon and there was, uh, I wrote this thing called conquest of space, which was the privatization, you know, private people going up there and, and the exact thing they're mining asteroids and stuff like that to be able to do it. And it's, um, and that's, what's finally turning out that's going to probably make the whole thing happen. I mean, he's the one it's must. I mean, yes, yeah, Musk must. It's getting stuff up to the space station now because oh, yeah. the government can't.
0: He's, he's the guy who's going to do it even though pretty soon we're going to crash the space station, I guess it's, it's half-life is over with, but, uh, you know, pretty soon. It's we got a ways to go. My my problem with all this is, is okay. Like with Skylab, all right, we're going to bring it down. Well, that's cool. I mean, I know things have a half-life, but why don't you have something ready to replace it? I mean, good businesses. If when you're a company and you're getting rid of your fleet, because it's aging, you have a new fleet coming in. And as one truck goes out, a new truck comes in. Same thing with airlines. When one jet goes out, a new jet comes in. Um NASA has never learned this.
2: It's, it's, no, it's, but you got Space Force that has.
0: Yeah, Space Force. Is, and by the way, I like Space Force. And I, I thank you for introducing me to the gentleman the two gentlemen actually. Yeah. Um, um, I find their careers to be very interesting. What's what's that, Christopher? Um, no, Space Force is Space Force is the thing Trump did that everybody was like, "No man, you can't do that, Trump. It's stupid, man. We don't need a Space it's Force." Not, it's man. not stupid
1: at all. That's that's where the next.
0: That's, that's where, that's where we're going. I mean, that's the is. And,
1: and I mean that's where our next military frontier is. That's where we're going to yeah. be fighting.
0: That's where all of our frontiers, are except for deep water. But I mean, um, I, I, when I you know I thought it was a great idea. I know a lot of people made fun of it, but then I noticed the Democrats because they were making big fun of it when Trump did, it. and then all of a sudden Joe Biden said, "No, we're keeping it," yeah, and cool. all the Democrats just shut. Guys, the they were like, "All my Republican friends were like see, see,', see. and all my Democrat friends were like." Well, he says we need it too. I said, well, why don't you think about that one? Well, you know, you never know with Trump. I was like, whatever. I said, let go of the hate for a little while and see the person for what the person is. Well, that, was like, easy.
1: that was like when uh, when the vac- they first started talking about a vaccine and everyone was like, I'm not taking any vaccine that Trump puts out. It's the same vaccine. <laughs>
0: Just same <laughs> when, vaccine like
1: Biden, when Biden was in power, and then suddenly everyone's like, "We gotta take the vaccine." It's like that's
0: yeah, the, the same thing,
1: right? The
0: doctor yeah. the same thing. Yeah. Well, see now they got that. Uh, what is it? The, my wife had gotten COVID just recently. Plat not Plavix. Um, it starts anyway. Th- th- yeah, so they gave it to her two days later. She was feeling great. Yeah, screwed a shot, man. What do you need a shot for if you can take that? I'm like, and uh, I I wouldn't take the Pfizer Moderna because I didn't want anything screwing on my DNA. I did take the the Johnson shots three times. And but it was a traditional virus. I mean, it was a, it was it was made just like any flu viruses. They used yeah. part of COVID to make it. Whereas um the other two were well, very advanced technology, and really, someday will probably change medicine on the planet. But right now, um, they still don't know what the hell they're doing. I don't like anything changing my DNA around. Um, and then you got all these people suing because they said all their hair fell out because of the vaccinations. By the way, it's only people who took those two. People took Johnson's aren't suing about anything it's a uh, I, I don't i don't there's all kind of side effects from them and now there's all kind of side effects from covid i'm like what the hell long covid this covid that covid and uh, and i would really like to see out of everything that went down i would like to see china's real numbers on how many people died in that country because yeah, i mean you we know, had you we never, you're
1: never seeing that. That's-
0: well, we had people we had four people on the ground in Wuhan when this went down that lived there that were friends of ours, friends of the mm-hmm. station, I should say. And we had well, we got friends all over China. So we were getting pictures out of Beijing two weeks in. It was a ghost town. All you'd see was these guys in white suits with these, these smoker things just fanning everything, you know, killing everything. And then so Wuhan, we got we actually got live pictures of the hospital collapsing, I should say the hotel collapsing. We've got live pictures of them putting the uh, the things on the windows where you couldn't get out and then going around and handing people food. We've also got live pictures of when the 40 incinerators were brought in and we've got live pictures of um, them carrying body bags that were still moving. Now, before anybody asks me, ladies and gentlemen, just because a body bag moves doesn't mean the thing inside of it is still alive. Bodies do move after they're dead. Uh, it's creepy to see. I was, had, I was talking to a friend of mine, he's a mortician, as he was talking and the lady's arm went, And I was like, "What the?" (laughs) He said, "It's just normal, Joe." I said, "Normal, my ass! I'm leaving, man." She got goosey. Dad told the
2: story because when he was working through college, he worked, helped a a mortician, and so they had to go pick up this one guy. He died in jail, and he and he died sitting up, sitting in his chair. He he died, so they they had to bring him in, put him onto the onto the uh, stretcher thing, and carry him to the the hearse, and they had to tie him down. They had to because his rigor mortis had set in, and as they were driving back. All of a sudden, he went, you know, and as the the as the muscles went up again, it just forced the they are coming into his lungs, and my dad just. Ah, just I don't blame he him, he him it, out of of I'm here. out of here, man. Just don't get a new job. That's what I want to
0: say. I'm getting, I want a new job, people. Screw this. That's, um, that's I don't, I, I, I've seen enough dead people. I don't want to see anymore. But wow, and, um, I seen one guy burned to death on a rig. That was just horrible, and and, and I didn't even watch, but you could, It was it was like. You just couldn't stop. I mean, he he flipped his rig, and blocked up all the traffic. And it was burning, and he couldn't get out. And it was no one could get near him. And he just started screaming. and Everybody's just sitting there, and, and there's nothing anybody can do. But it stays in the back of your head. Yeah. I went and, I went to open an apartment one time, and found a lady melted into a couch with her dog and her cat eating on her. Um, just just stuff that you know people should not have to see. My wife has actually seen worse than that. Yeah. Um, so I, and I've seen other dead people. I just I'd, I'd rather not see them if I didn't have to. You no, know. hey, well,
2: this is degenerating pretty fast. So this, yes. that's good. Let's
0: just yeah, let's move on to something. You 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 write a, you you could write a book about how did people come back? to home? Come on,
1: Zach, save us! Come on, Zach. Uh, what do you think here? I mean, yeah. it's hard. To, it, uh, <laughs> it how can, You're not how saying that, I mean to be to be frank i I've seen dead people before. I've also had many clients commit suicide before. I mean that that's happened in my in my career. So these are things that I, I, I'm almost like I want to talk about them over here. Actually, I can say this. One of the most dystopian things I saw if, uh, out of China during that whole period was some videos people were taking of um, empty streets. And they had very low-flying drones with big floodlights on them that were speaking in Chinese and telling people to go back into their houses, like
2: flying low
1: along the yeah. streets, uh, which felt oh, very that's that's
2: very that's actually more scary. That is totally the dystopian yeah. future you've been reading about for mm-hmm. decades. Mm-hmm. Well, they have something like... I forget how many it
1: is. It might be in the millions of cameras that they have everywhere in the most populated areas
0: of China. Well, oh,
2: in China, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah they're, they're they track, everywhere. I they mean, all your Same thing in like, London. Yeah. London's also huge. They've London got it, it everywhere because...
0: Uh, New York's not much better. I'm, I'm not going to lie. And LA's got quite a few cameras. LA's a little bit more sneaky about it, I noticed though, because you'll see them on businesses, on business fronts. But a lot of times they're just the smaller cameras and the dome cameras and stuff like that, or the, um, or those long skinny cameras, because you can just stick them in shit and and they still do a good job and people just don't, don't pay. I would say that the the
1: crucial difference though, is that at least right now, and maybe we'll go this direction and hopefully we don't, but at least right now we don't have what China has, which is that social credit score thing where they just have cameras on you. And I heard at least recently they had, they would hire people in the community to watch the streams to see if people do things like litter or jaywalk or whatever other like worse stuff than that you could do and then you get demotions on your score and then that can lead to you having all kinds of issues can't use certain uh like public facilities or whatever um also though one of the things they could do is control your money especially if we go to a digital total if we go to all digital currency that's another uh, potential way. That's for a the, very
2: the, scary thing.
1: Yeah. For the government yeah, yeah. to control your money if they decide they don't like something you did to just be like, well, now you have no money. You also hear people talking about um, like top down uh, limiting of how many plane flights you can take in a year to, for, I guess, for environmental reasons and things like that. Uh, there's all these kinds of stories that you hear. It's, I, I'm hoping we don't go in that direction. I feel like um, our collective sense of individuality at least in the west will save us from some of that but
0: who knows well you know there's an episode of orville where they where they they have a red and green button up and down, vote oh, up and down. Yeah. Uh-huh. so um and it's well it, actually it,
1: you know it's you know it's funny from the orville by the way great show uh, like i'm a huge star trek fan and the the first season was just okay but the second season and especially the third season of the orville got way like, better way better and just good classic star. He did Trek. a good
0: job. Yeah, he did. Yeah, did a great job.
1: But so, there there was an episode in the third season where they went to the home world of the sort of main villain aliens in the series. The I think they call them the krill. They're like yeah. uh lizard people. By the way, this is a TV show that I do watch. <laughs> this, ignoring that I said before that I don't watch TV, I will watch the Orville.
0: The Orville's um, good or show.
1: But there but the they got uh this came out maybe two or three years ago already but their presentation of that planet i think is probably where we're going which is a big concern on the, on the planet on that show uh, on that episode th- uh the society had just gotten used to the fact that everything was deep faked all the time so like basically th- if you had like republicans and democrats their republicans would make a video of the leader of the democrats Saying something that he never said, just using technology to make a fake video of him saying something horrible. And then in retaliation, the Democrats would make the, uh, the same thing of the re- of the Republican leader and send it back. Like oh, so the Taiwan elections, it just happened. Yes. And so and so then it was just it was just nonstop back and forth, deep fake videos, just total misinformation all the time. And the society had just sort of evolved to deal with that. So you had to just continue to try to win elections, despite the fact that everything you were doing was people would believe completely false things about you all the time. We've like gotten
0: close to that. Yeah, We've gotten, I mean, we've, we've we're close. I, I hope, yeah. you know, most, okay. Most tech savvy Americans are going to probably not get taken in by them, but everyday ordinary Americans. I watched when uh, all that stuff was going on with Hillary Clinton and, and last time and, and uh, Trump and how I, all I heard was Russia, Russia, Russia. And of course, when we find out it was Hillary, 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 but still, It was. It would amaze me is how half the country just swallowed it without even thinking about it.
1: And and what I'm saying is that that happened. This it's sort of like the Nigerian uh, email scam thing, where you know most people are pretty aware that you're not getting an email from a prince in Nigeria wants to give you money. Like it's obviously not happening. But the problem is, if you go over look at AI art, which is its own kind of snake pit of things to like ethical Mm -hmm. issues if you remember a year and a half ago maybe not even that long ago the joke everyone would make about ai is that it was really terrible at making hands all the hands would always look really messed up not like real hands and that was one of the ways you could tell it was obviously ai it's not really a problem anymore only been about a year and now you look at ai art that gets made uh, you know, it's sort of instantly made by whatever AI system you're You know,
0: it's interesting you bring that up because uh, if you've seen the Miami Mall video, mm-hmm. one of the things you see in the video is the hand is blurred out about this long. Mm. It's one of the reasons they know it's AI art because of the way the hand was. It's not mm-hmm. just the hand, it's the foot. But all that tells you is it's just an older system. It, 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 whoever was yeah. using it was using an out of data system or something like that. But right. now there are some good videos from outside that suggest it was something else. There is something. I use the word something because Wh- I don't which know. Which video what.
1: are you talking about?
0: This is this is Miami. There was a. Uh, so all of a sudden in Miami, Florida, we've carried this on the news a couple of times, like 60 cop cars. They said, oh, there was a shooting. Okay, they didn't even say where they were shooting. And they just scrambled like 60 cars. So, so they said it was only 10. Well, we, we counted the ones in front of the mall. There was 44 cop cars in front of the mall. And then mm. they were going around and back. So, so then there's footage from inside the mall. Now, there's people standing all around. I don't understand why the people on the upper tiers didn't get video because they weren't running. I understand the people downstairs because everybody was running. you know. So I can understand not pulling out your phone and getting it. But even though a couple of people did get video – most of the video I saw looked like AI or, or because they were moving so fast, like two or three people just blurred into one. I didn't, I didn't pay much attention to it, and we, we've been doing video for other stuff for a long time. So, uh, But when I seen the ones from outside taken from three different shots, so there's one taken by the helicopter from the news team, and then there's a guy standing down here and a girl standing down here, and all three of them got a shot of this thing. So at first you're not sure what it is, but you know it, it's something different. You know it's something different because there's a parking garage behind it and this thing's head is as high as a second story parking garage. It's at the bottom. So if you're just looking at it, the way, where you'd be where your car would be sitting on the second floor, that's where his head was. Mm-hmm. So that's that's fifteen twelve to fifteen feet. So what the hell is that? And then it's just walking around and then they closed the Miami airport for five hours um they did all they closed all kind of stuff down and and had nothing they couldn't find there's no kids anywhere there's no video of any kids anywhere Mis acting up being bad or doing anything stupid it was there was four children arrested uh other than that there's no and you can't find any witnesses that actually saw Mm. the fight of the kids but you can find witnesses that saw this thing in the mall i I couldn't tell you what the hell it was guys but it's interesting but it doesn't no, Jimmy, it doesn't prove extraterrestrial because it doesn't, it could have been anything. So if y'all ever see this some CC footage out of out of London, this shit is freaking great. So this guy builds in this really badass alien suit, climbs up in it, goes walking around at 2:30 in the morning, ooh, dancing in front of the cameras. They send cops, he scared the shit out of like five different cops. They pulled up seen him and left. That's funny. I mean, it's freaking hilariously funny. Then somebody comes back with a gun. Uh, I guess the other guys in here guns. A guy takes his head off. He's no, 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 I'm human. Don't shoot. <laughs> Don't shoot me. He, he, he scared the crab. And he, he, people would come walking. They were freaking running around. So one guy went and got a baseball bat. It was, mm-hmm. it was you know, but it was a good hoax. But, what, but you, you, but you see how
1: you see these visceral reactions to just a guy mm-hmm. in a suit. I mean, I'm yeah. saying the point about the hands is that. AI is developing so rapidly. Yeah, and the ability to very quickly mm. fake things is going to get way more powerful exponentially as we go forward. It's going to be very hard for people to tell what's real and what's not. So,
2: and that's well, going to be a problem. Wait, I'm going to have to uh sign off. Yeah, have got. A, I've got a meeting with Maliva. We're going to start proofreading Volume 40 now. That's well, go and get out of here. Tell us it high and, pretty, pretty and, uh... at high. We're doing the press end of this week, so I got to. uh you got to get the final proofread and get that all set and ready to go. Yeah, we're getting ready to wrap up. I mean, will you be good? Yeah. Thanks for stopping yeah, by. And great seeing you again, Zach.
1: Yeah, it was great seeing you too, John. See you next time.
2: Absolutely. And, and yeah. we'll talk to yeah. you later, Joe. All right, be good, babe. Um, the Joe, there was a question that you, you said you
1: were
0: going to ask me towards the end. Oh, so yeah. the guy wants to know what is better, Viagra or Cialis? Oh. <laughs> and I was like, I, was, <laughs> I, just wrote, I said, I'll ask you.
1: I can answer the question. I mean, first of all, you should talk, understand I'm not a medical doctor, so I'm not giving medical advice here. Number two, you should talk to your provider, medical provider, to ask them about stuff specific to your uh, medical history that might make a difference with Viagra versus Cialis. But generally speaking, I mean, the major difference between the two is that Viagra you just take before you want to have sex and Cialis you generally take as a daily medication. Oh, well, all this stuff just popped up in my feet here. Cialis, um, no, uh, you, you generally take as a daily medication so that you can be kind of always ready to have sex if it, the opportunity arises. So it really depends on what uh, model you think works best for you. If you want to take a pill every day and maybe you'll, and uh, you take it in the morning and maybe you have sex that day. Cool. But then you're adding that to your routine. If you want to take a pill, right before you have sex and it takes maybe 30 minutes to get going and all that kind of stuff. That's maybe a, you know, more functional way for some people. It sort of depends. Also the one medication may work better for you. The other may work better for you. It kind of depends again on your body. I would say all of that aside, it's again, it's important to talk to your doctor because you may You may need it because you're just getting older and it's harder to get or maintain an erection, Um, but you also may not need it. And that's, that's where your sex, local sex therapist comes in too. Right. You may not actually need Viagra. You may have just anxiety related to sex. Right. And that can result in not being able to, uh, Get an erection or maintain an erection. That the vast majority of the time, the reason people need them is because of anxiety, and you can actually work through that with a therapist, and then not need to take medication as much to have.
0: Uh, I've cell. heard that several times too. It's uh, I've heard it from a couple other doctors. What was that, Denise? What do you mean Viagra for women? Actually, they do have a form of Viagra for women. I, I didn't know that. I just recently heard, learned that from a friend of mine who works at the office. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's actually called anything like that. I think it's just something they give you that, that may spur things along. I don't know. She was telling, so we have like 11 psychologists in the building, psychiatrists, psychologists, and, um, one of our buildings that we handle and i give him all the time so i'm like it's like i'm crazy i need drugs i need a vacation can i go spend like six weeks at one of the nut houses and she's like they're all like joe you're not (laughs) crazy i said i'm nuts man i'm I'm crazy i'm telling you i'm whacked i said i believe in aliens people come on y'all need to lock me up and they're like and then johnny goes over there he goes you're the same person i know i said this is bullshit i said i'm crazy Y'all won't do nothing about it (laughs) he's like yeah, you're not crazy. But they're they're um they're actually a lot of fun to talk with. I know they intimidate a lot of people because yeah, you know, I guess sometimes psychologists intimidate people or, or psychiatrists intimidate people.
1: But well, people are people are definitely afraid of you a little bit. They think that you're psychoanalyzing them when you start talking. Well, but I promise I'm not unless you're paying me. I mean, just think of it that way. Like, why would I bother doing it if I'm not getting paid for it? Yeah, I'm, I'm with that. On the female Viagra thing, that on that question, it's important to understand something else, which is that viagra doesn't nor seattle viagra and sales don't uh make a guy have more sexual desire
0: no, right? yeah, yeah.
1: they're they're, pul- they're pulmonary medications that essentially when you are aroused it will increase blood flow to the penis which allows you to maintain your erection longer so if you're not aroused and you're on viagra you're likely you don't necessarily get a, get an erection. You have to actually yeah. become aroused to get the erection. Yeah, you
0: got to get it in your brain, people. Well, no, actually. I, right,
1: but but to, but to the, the point about women, though, the, the quote-unquote, is there a female Viagra? People often ask that. Um, there is a drug that I believe is approved by the FDA. I forget what it's called off the top of my head. And that is often referred to, and I could probably Google it, that one's often referred to as female Viagra. Um Philbinacerine or something like that that's often referred to as female Viagra but what that actually is is it's a medication that's meant for uh women who are about to go through or are going through menopause and are having trouble with um like significantly reduced sexual desire supposedly this medication will help with having more sexual desire that's very different than what Viagra does. Yeah,
0: because I remember, I remember when I first heard about Viagra. They said it was an accidental discovery because it was being used as a, not a blood pressure medicine, but something along those lines. Yeah, and uh, and they had found out in the studies, I guess, that it worked. It had side effects like that, and they were like, "Well, I guess we'll use it for this." Uh, well, Christopher, uh, how old are you? Are you over fifty? Talk, uh, talk to your say. Talk to your. You have a, a cardiologist. Talk to him first. Mm-hmm. If you don't have any heart problems, it's not a big deal you can take you can take them but i mean it's always good it's always good to talk to your 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 cardiologist about things like you're gonna increase your blood pressure and uh not just that you're gonna be you know if it's working correctly you're gonna probably you know be more active so but, or, well do, do, so i see i see someone here said that they don't need that uh, presumably
1: referring to the desire medicine. Mm-hmm. So then sometimes when women are asking for like a female Viagra, what they really mean is they want something that will help with lubrication or that they want something that uh, will reduce maybe pain during sex. And yeah. if, if either of those things are the issue, then I would suggest, of course, always talk to your medical doctor, but then to go and speak to a, um, a sex therapist like myself or whoever else is, you know, near you, yeah. but to go speak to a sex therapist, to figure that out. Because again, very similar to men with erectile dysfunction and other uh, dysfunctions for uh, for women. It's likely anxiety related. It may be hormonal relate, hormonally related as well. I'll tell you a funny story. I, I had a client who was a, a, a sorority sister. So she's like a college student and she was saying to me, um, like, is there such a thing where you have sex, but it's just like really dry? Like this, it's just like when you're when you're done having sex, you're just like really aggressively dry, and like you you think you would be wet, it's it the vagina, but it's just like super dry. And I said, well, you know, there are cases where the hormone balance, your your hormonal balance is thrown off by birth control, and that can result in being hmm. uh, like overly dry during sex. But I also was like, is it possible you're just not attracted to the person you're that, having you know, sex with? And she said, she said, uh, oh, she said, I don't know, maybe. And I said, so explain to me the symptoms dry during sex. And then also having muscle tension in the vagina. That was like, like a pinching tension. That pinching tension is, uh, well, it, it, I mean, depending on what it is, we would call it vaginismus. And that's uh, basically muscle tension in, in the vagina, the actual vagina part of the vagina. Uh, so b- before the cervix um, the muscle tension, that's, Caused by anxiety and tension about sex or about your partner or about your performance or whatever it is, um, that causes you to tighten up, almost like you know when you, um, when someone something coming towards you and you kind of wince and your muscles you know kind of pull back and you have that that quick reaction. Imagine that, but it's sustained and it's in the vagina while you're having sex. And I said that's vaginismus. So if you're if you're not wet during sex and you're feeling that kind of tension related pain, it's probably because you just aren't that aroused by the guy. Maybe he's not putting the moves on you. Maybe he's not giving you enough time to like enough foreplay to actually get yeah. aroused and turned on. And so now you're having this this strong reaction. She was like, wow, I've never heard of this. I never learned about this in, um, in health class and school, or anything like that. And then she came back the next week and was like, I told all my sorority sisters, and they all felt like they've had the situation before. And I was like, oh my God, there's a fraternity that's going to put a hit <laughs> out on me. <laughs> I just blew up this whole sorority house. They're all going around being like, we don't need to have sex with these guys if we don't want to. So now the frat's probably going to come and try to kill
0: me. Fine. Yeah, they'll, they'll be like, hey, hey, guys, mind your own business <laughs> yeah. here, man. Leave these women I'm alone. How dare you? Uh, <laughs> no, Marky, we got to go. It's after, it's after five. What's well, up? Uh, uh, no, actually, no, I may actually bring Zach back and we may do a. Well, I may bring him like on a f- news on a flip side where we can talk about this more freely. Well, because I've been getting mixed comments about it. Somebody's, a lot of people are really interested. A lot of people are like, this ain't got nothing to do with no gosh darn book. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah fair <laughs> enough. That's
0: uh, it is. But it's a good conversation. Fiction. Which oh no, we got we got a lot of books. We got a lot of book stuff in tonight, and we had John Goodwin come and join us as well. So y'all got y'all got a lot of stuff. Go buy some books, people. Y'all aggravate me with those, those books. Go buy some books. But uh, anyway, we got to be wrapping up because it's it's uh, it's uh, past the top of the hour. But yeah. Zach's been great having it. Any any place you're going to be, any place you want to let these people crazies know you're going to be or anything?
1: Uh, I'm going to be at something called Farpoint Convention in in Maryland, which is. uh, it's basically a Star Trek science fiction. Yeah, like movie. Four Point Station. Yeah. Yeah, like Four Point Station. And then I'm also going to be at Balticon in, uh, on Memorial Day weekend, which is a bigger convention, uh, writing science fiction writing, et cetera, convention in, in Maryland. And maybe my band will be on tour near you. I don't know. <laughs> Some so, goes good, to man
0: Did hey, you, know, you, you, you yeah, know y'all can throw condoms at him or something? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Make sure they're colored ones, man, and at least red. Yes. Come on, let's right. not use the cheesy shit ones. Uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> I know Jack. Yes, have seen that video. no, that's that's. I don't even remember what that was where they what they were fighting with their con- yeah they had glowing dark condoms, and they were doing the, the the Darth Vader theme, and they were fighting yeah, anyway. I don't know what movie that was. It wasn't porn. No, it wasn't. It was some stupid ass sci fi movie. And they just were using, anyway, they were just using glow in the dark condoms instead. Yeah. I don't know what I don't, it's a long time. My memory doesn't work near as good as it used to. I told my doctor, I said, You have to start giving me something for my memory. She's like, mm. she said, well, Why don't you get some of that crap out of your head first? I was, <laughs> I was like, Doc, she said, Ain't nothing wrong with you. She said, You are healthy. She said, she said Nope, nope, nope. She said, Quit this, quit that, quit this. I'm like, Doc, you bite. And then she goes. She goes. Well, you know, another ten pounds. You're going to take you out that high blood pressure medicine. She said that'll probably help your memory in itself. I'm like, I said. So everything that's supposed to help me actually does has side effects. So I said. She said, pretty much. I was like, mm-hmm. okay, dog. Well, you know, when I got I got a stent when I was 46, and uh, which freaked out my doctor, freaked me out too, by the way. And uh, I was like, you're going to put me on. They put me on Plavix for a year, which sucked because if I even did that, I was bruised or bleeding. Mm. and then they had me in nexium for like 10 years and uh i was like doc and, and he said well i hope you won't get no acid reflux with that i'm like yeah but it should give me cancer or something he said no that's the other one <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> <whatever>. <laughs> I said look i because i don't i don't like taking pills i, I mean to try i gotta try general now So that i have to take pills if i don't have a choice but um other than that everything else is in pretty good shape dean I, I, you know what ask me on the science show on news and flip side one day i'll explain do you tried try general it's I, I will tell you this. It's called the suicide disease. Um, yes, the doctors call it the suicide disease. That's how horrible this shit is. Uh mm-hmm. one night I, I will explain it all to you and um it's it's basically all it really is 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 a is a nerve and a blood vessel that are touching each other. So when a blood vessel gets a thumping, it thumps against the nerve. The nerve just it's this whole side of your face. So this one nerve controls all your eye, your teeth, your whole side. So when it goes off, it just sends everything into pain. It literally feels like someone took a, a fire poker—I mean, a poker—stuck it in some embers and then stuck it in my eye and just jiggled it around. I blacked out from it twice, and my doctor's telling me I've got one of the highest pain thresholds they've ever seen. Uh, Don't—it's not—it's just one of them things. It's not a disease. It's not anything like that. Just about every—it's like a cycle. About every 14, 16 months, these two come together. And for about six or eight weeks, they just touch every once in a while. And most people who get it get like electrical shock and shit like that, and it lasts for about eight or ten minutes. The kind I got, when it affects it, when it hits, it, it usually lasts anywhere from forty minutes to an hour. It's excruciating. Yeah, one night I took three Percocets at one time. I didn't even freaking phase it. No, didn't even phase it. I was like, "You got to be freaking kidding me, man!" And my doctor said, "No pain medicine is not going to help you." He said, unless we give you some kind of cancer medicine uh, where you don't know your name afterwards, it's not gonna help you. I was like, well, ain't this a bitch? So they got me a nerve blockers, people. There you go. That's that's all y'all needed to know. Zach, I always have a blast talking. You had a great time tonight. Uh what are you doing? Here? Sorry, my dog is losing her mind. And um <laughs> I guess she wants she's mad, she's not on the radio with us. Right. She, she, if I leave the door open, she'll come in when she when it, she has no clothes on, as I like to say. I'll put her like right here and and she falls asleep. Well, she's black. I mean, she's black as night. And matter of fact, when, at nighttime, we put Golden Glock shirt on her ass so we don't step on her because mm. uh, you can't see her. And I'll put her up here. She'll, she'll fall asleep, and I'll be talking, doing whatever. And a couple of weeks ago, she's sleeping away, and, and she just cracked her eyes. So all you seen was this little white thing pop up. People like, what the fuck is that? You got a fucking alien on you. I was like, no, it's a dog, people. Calm down. It's a dog. It's a it's an ugly dog at that, but it's just a dog. She has got her hoodie on right now. she's she around with her hoodie. But again, Zach, you were great. I always have a blast with you. Yeah. Uh, you know when you get bored down the line. And I know you're too busy these days. When you get bored down the line, we always got we always looking for good hosts. So, uh, you know, and we yeah. do a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of podcasting. But you know, we've been using Streamyard, which is Jackie Streamyard is is easy. Mm-hmm. It's I, I don't I don't want to say it's like the easiest thing in the world, but it's easy. It's it's, it's 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 easy, uh, and it's really easy for the guests because now the guests can give them the control of the mic and in the, in the in the the camera, and if they want to bring their YouTube or Facebook page on, they can with them, so they can stream with us. Oh, yeah. So we're already streaming on eight venues here. And they add another two, that's ten, and then of course we're on Roku Live. So that's you know, last time I checked tonight, we were at forty-one forty. Forty-four thousand people watching us on, on Roku television, so that was nice. And this show's been averaging right around four or five hundred thousand. So we'll see what the audience is in this in a little while. But it, it's a, it's a lot of fun, and you know, it's it, it, you know what it does for me is it gets rid of stress. And because, uh, like on Friday nights, I will tear somebody a new ass in like two seconds. Man, <laughs> Sean's just learning. He's like, damn, man. <laughs> like, yeah. See, there she is. Look, there, there she look. is. Yeah, there she is. Uh, the demoness. Is- you, she's she's the demonist. I can't tell you her real name because somebody might get offended, uh, or she'll know. get
1: doxxed.
0: Yeah, she might get doxxed. That's true too. She might. Here, put your hoodie on. Show everybody what you look like. Put your hoodie on. See, so I'm hooding it, man. I live in the hood. What you got, man? <laughs> I'm the hood. You give him some five. Give him some dap, man. Give him some dap. <laughs> yeah, go see your mama Anyway guys, I want to tell everyone Thanks for tuning in to the Authors Quill Hanging out with Zach and I and John And I hope y'all enjoyed the show Any moans, groans, bitches, or complaints You know that's routine Write to Michelle DeRoche Courtesy of Joe Montaldo. Why do I say that? Because I'm not going to answer you So you need to write to Michelle DeRoche And she right. might answer you And she'll probably answer you with something like What are you, stupid? <laughs> <laughs> just, it better be a good I'm just warning you ahead of time You better, If you got a complaint, it better be a good one no, we take complaints on networks over hosts, but most of our hosts are, are inside there. We have like guidelines of what you can do on a network. And this network is not G rated, it's more like R17 or something like that. <laughs> Today was X rated. Yeah, you know, so it's, it's and technically, in, in all of our venues, it says not for children. On YouTube, on Facebook, everywhere it gives us the option, we say it's not for children. It's an adult radio network. Don't ever make the mistake that we're a kiddie network. We're not. We, we are an adult-only network. Uh, the stuff, a lot of the topics we talk about are not healthy for children to listen to. Not the one, this one, this one, this one even a bad one at night. We get far <laughs> worse than that. We get far worse off than that, people. <laughs> I mean, it's stuff stuff to give children nightmares and shit they, they just don't need to listen to some of the stuff we talk about. Uh, Carolyn, we got to go. No, all questions can wait till next time. Zach's hanging out with us. No, I'm going to bring him on a new show because him and I and the boys and, uh, uh, we'll get together and talk about that and some of them old bass in that show might need a little, <laughs> <a> little <help. laughs> that'll be fun yeah we should do that <laughs> <laughs> say, say, have you had sex lately do you have even i might even set up a questionnaire ahead of time have you had a sexual this is the night to come talk to us <laughs> let's see what happens we'll see what happens but anyway I'll, in a couple of weeks i'll get hold of you probably in February or something i got um I got a couple of new hosts I gotta get settled in first and thank god michelle does most of that for me no, Gene, we're going. So again, ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for listening to The Author's Quill with Zach and I. And I hope you all really enjoyed the show. And again, any moans, moans, gritches, or complaints, write to Michelle DeRoche, courtesy of Joe Montaldo. Good night, everyone. And stay tuned for uh, Spaced Out Radio with crazy man Dave Scott. Yes, yeah, the insane man.